Hey, welcome to the 275th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big, awesome supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I often talk about classic comic books. Sometimes I talk about movies. I think this week I'm going to do an off my mind. I'm going to just go off about a, a topic, not go off about a topic. I'm going to discuss a topic for, for, for the, the, the one episode rather than get derailed in, you know, this, I, I could easily talk about it here. But let's just specify, just go into the nitty gritty of everything like that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. All right. So this week I have, there's a lot to talk about. The movie feature is Violent Night, which it's David Harbour is santa claus it's violent i mean it's it's in the title it's it's i'll talk more about it i i really enjoyed it it's it is like such a holiday movie but it's it's like it has something for everyone we'll get into that uh i did wednesday got more wednesday to talk about i i was planning on talking about episodes five six seven eight the second half since i did one through four last week but because i can't seem to talk briefer i thought well maybe you know i'm just gonna do and for my sake because i'll be perfectly honest as i record this right now i haven't watched episode seven and eight so kind of two 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 birds one stone or whatever it's i feel just talking about it just to drag it on because i i really don't like when talking about a show one week or two week and then it's like it never existed so let's let's let it live on. Let's keep talking about it because it's. It, I'm really enjoying it. So I, I'm hoping we hear about uh, the season two. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, and in Titans, I debated with about this as well because last week I wasn't able to get around to watching it just because of Thanksgiving and family time and and just everything else going on and you know watching four episodes of Wednesday. So I didn't watch Titans in in time to record it last week. I did watch episodes four or episodes five and six this week. And I debated, it's like, well, maybe I'll just, you know, do episode four and then say six for next week. And, you know, that way give me a little buffer, but I'll just talk about it. I think I need to double check. Maybe I, I should like pause and check, but I don't know if there's like a mid season replacement. Cause I tend to look on IMDB for like the release dates and they're usually pretty up to date. Like if there's going to be like two episodes dropping or three episodes, they kind of have this little little gap in in the calendar, but sometimes it's just maybe they don't have all the information yet. So whatever. So uh, because Doom Patrol starts this week, and um, that might be the main feature for next week, which I'll, I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Because there's well, there is a Christmas movie that is opening in theater. I just literally saw it at the trailer for it because I'm always seeing. Because I think the whale opens up. I don't know why I'm talking about next week when I'm haven't even recorded this week. I don't know if the whale is going to be opening wide, if it's going to be playing at my theater, but then there's this, uh, I don't even remember what, what the, the movie is, is called, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas. And it, it just, it looks kind of ridiculous. It's, it's a Shudder original movie. It looks like it was made in the 90s, maybe. <laughs> I don't think, no, 
But the, I mean, I really love Violet Knight, but this, I don't think you can, it's, I don't think it's fair to compare them. Uh, and then there's uh, Stargirl. It's funny thing is, I thought this week's Stargirl was the season finale. I'll talk more about that later. I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> there's still one more episode. And then uh, the peripheral, uh, The I think the season finale is out. I'm talking about episode seven. I think there's only eight this season. Uh, before I get started, one thing, just I would love to get some feedback. When I cover all these shows and everything, you know, I tend to go pretty in-depth. My thinking is you might not have the time, the means, or whatever to sit and watch these shows, but you are interested. You want to hear what's going on. And when I discuss the shows, it's it's it, while the majority of it is just kind of like a recap, like an in-depth recap, I sometimes take little tidbits and give my thoughts on you know when this scene happens or whatever if someone's being ridiculous or whatever if i'm rolling my eyes and or just what it it could mean or how it might relate to the source material if it's based off a comic or a book or or whatever but i just don't know if if that if it's too long because a lot of times i'm spending like almost 30 minutes a, a show like 20 to 30 minutes and then, you know, some of these shows are like 45, 50 minutes. It's like you, you could almost watch the show instead of listening to me, you know, just, and then this happened and then this happened. So I just don't know if, if that's the, the, the way to go. But I feel like if I just said, okay, in this episode, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens. And, you know, maybe talk about it like five minutes. But then if, if, you, if you're not watching the show, it might not make a lot of sense because then I might be taking things for granted. So I, I'm really... I'm just really unsure what everyone would would prefer and what's what's the best route because I want, I would hate for someone to listen. It's like okay, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just gonna you know fast forward and skip this because then you know that's that's no fun. So I don't I don't know. I'm I'm really torn as to what I should do because sometimes I feel like the discussions are taking too long, but I know some people enjoy that. I also feel like your is isn't your podcast listening time like. And in demand, isn't there? Aren't you listening? I'm assuming you're listening to other podcasts and and stuff besides just me. I am extremely grateful you're listening to me, but I would imagine you're probably listening to other stuff too. So, uh, but then maybe some people just need that time. You know, we want the time. I don't know what your commute is, or if you're able to listen to things at work. If you're, you know, working the late shift, making donuts. I I don't know. So uh, we have all that. So let me know. And then, you know, maybe, you know, we switch things up. If, if, if people want shorter episodes or more, then, you know, we, we could do that. Maybe start like starting in January or I don't know. We shall see. So uh, let's get on to the news because that's, I tend to ramble. So uh, we had a lot of trailers this week. And at first I'm like, why the heck are we getting all these trailers? There's a big... Uh, Comic-Con, Comic-Con experience, CC, CCPX, I don't know, something like that. It's a, the big uh, convention in Brazil, and it's it's crazy. I, it's so awesome that they have this one. A lot of times I'm so extremely jealous that all these cool things are happening there because I'm, I'm not going to go to Brazil anytime soon. You know, It's got to be expensive and, and all, all that. So it, it's really cool that there's this huge fan base there or the people you know go there to travel and that they get to experience all these really cool things. So, you know, it, yeah, whatever. I may be jealous. I may miss out. But they get to see it. So that's awesome. Because I'm sure they miss out on a lot of things that are strictly in the United States or whatever. So, you know, good good for them. 
But when it, uh, so I don't know if all of these were necessarily unveiled there or just a timing or whatever, because you know obviously we watch them online. I watch them online. There's a Guardians of the Galaxy teaser, and uh, you know it, it's being billed as this is the end, uh, end of the era, blah blah blah. You know all this like that. Is, is like, is it really, are we like never, is, are they all going to die? Are we never going to see them? And I know this is most likely going to be James, James, I almost said James Cameron, James Gunn's last, you know, Marvel anything for a while since he's has big duties at DC now. But who's to say we won't see any of these characters that they might not appear somewhere else? You know, maybe we don't get this team as it is like currently because you know I, I i keep hearing rumblings like i thought like bradley cooper like didn't want to voice rocket anymore or we're not going to see rocket and but you know who who knows and i know like zoe Dal 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 you know what i'm talking about <laughs> uh she's you know talking about how she mentioned recently it was a kind of like bittersweet you know knowing that this is the end this is the final time but then she's also like i don't miss getting up at like 3 a.m to sit in a makeup chair for you know four hours or whatever it was that you know to, to get into the gamora look so we'll see but as far as, as uh, the trailer goes it's it's interesting could they're they're wearing like their their blue guardians of the galaxy so uh, uniforms so it's like they're more policing things you know we see them arrive on a planet they're going to help people out and of course the the crazy shenanigans happen the mix-ups or whatever and then there's those point where they're and it looks like they're in a prison again and um we we see adam morlock spoiler you i mean we it, it's it's a given that he's been in it you know he was cast so we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm it's James Gunn, so I'm excited about that. But I'm trying to think. Like I still I should really watch the second movie. I I think I've only seen the second movie once, maybe twice. I'm trying to th- I don't even I think I own it on Blu-ray. I might have gotten a review copy, so I think I just have like a disc, like not the case. I'm not even sure where that's at. But I don't think I haven't really watched it again, and I don't remember what I really thought about it. And then you know, there's just. Chris Pratt, I'm like on Chris Pratt over overload. You know, I was I was like the biggest Chris Pratt fan in the beginning. You know, I, I thought, you know, when first Guardians came out, it was it was great. But I'm just just a little tired of of, of him. No offense, or I guess offense. I don't know. So we'll see. And and the fact that he's all mopey and everything else, I, I totally get it. Yeah, it sucks. You know what this his situation, but. We'll see. There was also a trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is such a funky name, and I love it because it is, is so funky. You know, you look at like some of the other. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I, it's if you think about it, that must have been like a weird title in the beginning, but we're just so used to it because that's what it was called, Temple of Doom. You know, Last Crusade that that seems that almost felt like this is supposed to be the last movie and then kingdom of the crystal skull was right i always i always get that title wrong so i i like that it's this big long elaborate name you know title and you know we we see that they're using the de-aging technology and i'm i'm totally fine with that i'm sure there's like some people that are like oh you shouldn't do that and this and whatever but i i think it's kind of cool since we're, you know, I talked about it last week, we're going to see some, some like flashback scenes and, you know, why not? I mean, we're assuming that Indiana Jones has gone on more than one or two, you know, adventures since we last saw him. So it'll be cool to, to see something else, you know, how, and how it relates to the present. 
and you know Mads Mads Mikkelsen I don't, was he in the, in the trailer? I I only watched it once because I didn't want to like sit there and overanalyze it. Thank goodness I don't have to do those. I mean, it used to be back in the day. You know, when a new trailer come out, you'd have to watch and analyze it. You know, like, here's 35 things that you haven't seen. You know, doing slideshows to get the click, 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 and uh, so I only watch it once. And sometimes I'll do that. And I, I forget like what happens in a movie. It's like then I'll, I'll watch it. And I'll be like, oh yeah, that was in a trailer. <laughs> but so we have Mads Mikkelsen. He's gonna be like the villain. And this comes out June. 30th i think 2023 so there's, there's some movies coming out 2023 that's good because i feel like there's not a whole lot movie surprisingly there's like there wasn't a whole lot that thanksgiving doesn't seem like there's a lot in december we usually get like so many things so we'll see uh then there was also like sort of a a, a trailer for ant-man and wasp quantumania it was it was more like a recap thing with a little bit of new footage sprinkled in there and you know, we, we see, I'm trying to think, I don't think we got, okay, it's, it's not a spoiler. It shouldn't be a spoiler. I, I don't know if I've talked about it. I think I've talked about it. It's not a spoiler that MODOK is in the movie. It shouldn't be. I mean, unless you've been hiding, I don't, you know, I want to say under a rock, but it, it's been out there. And what I saw, you know, they, they released the images of the Funko Pops for like the first line. And there is a picture of of Moda, and then I'm seeing because like on Funko's uh, website and then like Entertainment Earth or Funko's post, Entertainment Earth's post, you know people are, are posting these or you can pre-order or whatever. People are like, "Oh, spoilers, spoilers!" And it's, it's like, no, uh, and I don't think people understand it. Where I mean, look at what happened with Grogu with baby yoda when when baby yoda first came out there was zero merchandise and people were flipping out like where's all the baby yoda stuff how come i can't buy i want to get this for christmas or with my kids and everything like that they purposely did not put if if you make merchandise it is going to get out there you know when i went to new york uh toy fair that was like in february you could see like stuff that's coming out for the rest of the year and and there's like some things where they might say no pictures of this allowed, but then you can see all this stuff. It's going to get out there. So if if there was a Star Wars thing and you see like a Baby Yoda, people are going to talk about it because you don't, I mean, they're not going to say, hey, we'll show you this, but you can't talk about it because there, there's no way they can, contr- it's going to slip. People talk. So if they didn't put out the, you know, they need to put the pre-orders out now. They want to make this stuff because they want to, you know, what's the demand? How much should they make and get it, ship it out to stores and all that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm looking at like or or like I was thinking it's like oh did they didn't make any Funko Pops for for Wednesday? I was like that's surprising. And then just the other day I saw one, and you know it it's like a week and a half after the show was out because maybe they didn't know they didn't want to put it out ahead of time or anything like that. Okay, just a little pause here. You might hear a slight noise in the background my heat just kicked on so i record from home obviously i don't have a studio it's it's not even a soundproof studio which is maybe obvious at some point but the heat just kicked on usually what i do is like i'll, I'll turn the, the thermostat down it's a little chilly because I, i'm a wimp since i've moved from the chicago area to california so i'm gonna keep it keep the heat on and hopefully it's not that much of a distraction or anything i should maybe i shouldn't have called it out but people might be like what, what's that noise so you know anyways so modok is in the movie but in the trailer going way back 
Oh my goodness. Uh, there's there's some things. It, uh, we'll see. Uh, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of footage, but I don't I don't really know what what to make of King is his appearance here. What King's in it? You know, of course he's in it. It's gonna be. I'm really curious to see him here from when we last saw him, and that's supposed to come out February seventeenth, twenty twenty three. There was also a trailer for Transformers uh, Rise of the Beasts. This comes out June 9th, 2023. Really don't know how I feel about this. I'm not the biggest Transformer movie, live action movie fan. Yeah, and and even, you know, if I'm going to be totally honest, I wasn't like the biggest Transformers fan just because when it came out, I watched select episodes and I thought it was it was cool in that. Sorry, James Gunn. I was a Transformer fan over GoBots. Even though I think I did own one GoBot, uh, and I, I don't think I ever owned—did I ever own a Transformer? I don't think I ever did because I was—I was too old at, at that point, and you know I just didn't have time to sit and do that. So with the live action movie, I mean, I did like Bumblebee. I've been kind of wanting to watch that again, um, which is weird to think because I think I actually talked about that on the podcast and and this show. Has it been since when did that come out? It must have been since 2017. I did enjoy that, but I only watched it once, and I, I am curious to watch it again, mainly because I, I, I think Haley Steinfeld is, is amazing, and when I watched the first one, I didn't really know who she was, and uh, I'm, I'm just curious to watch that movie again, and isn't that like Justice Kid, what, I forgot his name, he, he's in it too? Anyways, with this Transformers movie, I, I'm not. A, I'm really not a fan of Beast Wars. I never watched that. I never really cared for that. The idea of, you know, transforming vehicles that makes some sort of sense. Transforming into big, gigantic, robotic gorillas and lions and, uh, I mean, it was it was fine in the the Netflix CG animated series. So I don't know what this. And then one thing that really, really bugs me. So we see the, the the whoever the kid is in this movie. He's in his car. I don't even remember what kind of car it was supposed to be. I don't. I don't think it was a. I don't know. I have a Porsche in my head. It's not a Porsche because Porsche is what they have in Titans. He's driving this this car, whatever. And then it kind of stops. And then it it like changes. And then he just like do 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 just like walks out. It's like a cool shot. You know, it's supposed to be a cool shot. It is such a load of garbage if you think about the physics. You're careening, careening. You're driving, speeding down. You got all this momentum. And then it just transforms. You know, it doesn't screech to a halt or anything. It just, as it gets to the point on camera where, you know, it's Mark or whatever. And then he just, like, gets out and just doot, doot, doot. It's like, no way. He would be, if he's going like 60 miles an hour, his body, his force, he's going that way. And then if the transforming just kind of like gently nudges him out, he would still be going out. It's just like when people go flying through windshields. Hopefully that never happens to you. It just, it just bugs me. It's it's a cool, cool, air quotes, cool shot. But it just, although the idea of a giant transforming gorilla or whatever. I don't know. I'm going to watch it, of course. But even the designs. I saw someone did a comparison of Optimus Prime. I think it was from Bumblebee to this one. And he looks a lot scrawnier. Like, like there's less to him. <laughs> he lose some weight, <laughs> Optimus? I don't know. There was a, also a trailer. Uh, there's a Super Mario trailer. Oh, jeez. Chris Pratt. Um... 
Here we go. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks it looks really good. And we got like Mario Kart in here. We got the Rainbow Bridge and it's, it's so many cool things. But then we got Chris Pratt. And now here here's the thing. You know, I know I was, was kind of whatever, not necessarily giving him a hard time, all that. Chris Pratt, you know, he he's great at Star Lord. You know, I'm, I'm not going to knock that. But I just when I think of the voice of Mario, I don't think Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt was great in the Lego Movie. Emmett, you know that was that was good. But Mario, I just I I don't understand this. I I don't think we have to have a name, big name actor. Air quotes. I guess you don't need air quotes for that one. I I don't know. But. And again, I'll, I'll I'll watch that of course when when that comes out. That's April seventh. I need to like start putting these on a calendar to figure out like what's coming out, and hopefully they have thing things spread out with that. And that's the thing I, I don't know you know if people realize it is it's like a big big challenge to release these movies. You know I don't know if there's like some sort of etiquette, but a lot of times you know you have your big weekends, and it's almost like the studio's called dibs. Like, okay, I'm releasing my big tentpole movie this weekend, so that means you probably shouldn't. Now, I don't think there's any rule that says another studio can't. Like, if, if there's, let's say there's going to be a Star Wars movie opening up, and it's not like, hey, you guys can't open a movie because we're opening Star Wars. The other studios might be like, um, maybe we shouldn't open that because that happens. Now, when I worked at a movie theater way back, when I was in high school, sometimes, you know, you would get big movies that would open up the same date. And it was kind of a good idea because if one was a little bigger and it sold out, then people are like, they're there, they're with the family or whatever. And sometimes they're like, well, you know, this is our weekend, whatever thing. We can't see this movie. We are not going to come back to the next one because we got, we're going out to dinner or, or to whatever too late. So then they'll go see something else. So if you have like something else that opens the same date, then it's it's kind of like the backup. And and some people will will watch both or like buy tickets for two movies and they'll kind of give themselves like a double feature. But uh, yeah, so it's 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 kind of like this big game where you have to pick this date and and hope that no one else picks the same date after you claim that spot. We we saw that happen. I think it was like uh, when a. Uh, Batman uh, versus Superman came out. I think they had to date, and then didn't like Civil War. I could be totally wrong with that. Then didn't, didn't Marvel like, hey, we're gonna open at this date too? And then it was like gonna be this competition, and then Warner or DC Warner Brothers are like, uh, we're gonna move this. We have to do more production. So we we yeah right. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, anyways, uh, what else do we have? Oh, speaking of DC, apparently. They're working on some deal with with Prime with Amazon, and we're going to start to see some like animated content on there. It's not really clear what exactly that means. So this is really weird because you would think all anything DC would be on HBO Max because that's that's their own thing, and that's the incentive. If you want to watch this animated stuff or any content, you need to subscribe to HBO Max. I guess on the other hand, it might make some sense. Like, hey, we're gonna license this out to Amazon or net, you know, whatever Netflix or Hulu or something like that, and then they'll have to pay the licensing fee. And then maybe they also they pick up the tabs on the production stuff. So it's it's kind of like we'll let you make this, 
you need to pay us a license and then someone a profit or whatever and then you know then it's it's almost like a win-win type of thing and then i don't know so that might be happening so it's not really clear what exactly that means um speculation is, is that batman cape crusader show the the one that was supposed to, that was like started production that got canceled that they were saying maybe would be shopped around that's one of jj abrams and bruce tim that they were working on it's just so weird i don't know what what's going on with uh DC, with warner brothers now but we'll see uh mandalorian season three has a release date march 1st 2023 so we have that um that'll be cool daredevil i don't think there's a release date for daredevil yet i think they're just starting production on that or they're about no, actually i don't even think they've started yet but michael gandolfini so james gandolfini's son who was in that sopranos movie he has been cast in a, a role in daredevil born again you know they're not telling us what um i hope he's not just playing some random like mob dude because come on you know this Let's not stereotype him just because of his father. I mean, maybe he wants to. Maybe he tried out for that. But it would be cool to see him as something else. Something with a little more than just random mob boss number two or something. I, I can't imagine who else it would be. I mean, unless they're going to make him like Hammerhead or Owl or you know something like that. We'll see. Uh, oh, I mentioned Wednesday before. So, interesting. There's no season two yet as I as, as, that I know of. It broke records on, on Netflix. So it broke the Stranger Things 4 record. So 341.2 million hours during the first week, which is crazy because season four of Stranger Things was was almost 341 million hours in itself, <laughs> right? It was like super crazy long. Uh, Stranger Things had 335.0 hours. 1 million so 335 million to 341 million you're, i know people are like oh that's not that much but no you're you're that's you're talking millions so that's a lot of hours even though you're talking you know 35 to 41 you know 6 million 6 million hours i i feel like sometimes it takes 6 million hours to record this podcast oh and there was like over 50 million households so i i'm not even i don't even want to do that math but People like the show, and I I posted a video. So you know Netflix, they did this thing. It's like oh, apply to Nevermore Academy, and so like I'm like okay, I I did that. I entered my email and my address, and then I was like okay, whatever. I don't think anything's gonna come out of this, and I got this box out of it. And then there was a super fancy, not super fancy, but this fancy letter in there saying I'm accepted to the school and everything, and I got a school sweatshirt, and and I did an unboxing video, and it's it's got like 10,000 views almost on my my YouTube channel and there's like so many people like oh I I applied to and I didn't get it no I I wish it was you know it wouldn't ship to Germany or wouldn't ship to this you know here there's a lot of people that are upset cuz they want it so there's a lot of demand for it and I was just like I didn't I don't know how it was decided I don't know if it was I don't remember how long like when I signed up and how long it took to get it or whatever I'm assuming I thought I got the the email. I don't even know if I got the email because of, of the I get press releases from Netflix, and I don't know if this was only meant for people who have some sort of media site versus like you know random viewer and get it themselves. I mean, I would imagine they're they're giving these sweatshirts out, 
it's costing them money and maybe it's not costing that much to make it, but it's still, they have to make this sweat, you know, print the sweatshirts, make it whatever it costs to make that. And then there's a box and there's a, the letter and you know, packaging, mailing it. So they're there. It's, and it's part of their promotional budget. You know, they, I get that, but they're doing this in a hopes that someone's going to, like I did, I posted it on my YouTube channel. I posted it on my website because that way I'm promoting the show. They're, they're basically getting me to promote the show for them and not paying me to promote it. And again, there's no exchange. I have never received any sort of financial income from any anyone. You know, a lot of people are like, like, oh, they're paying you to review this. Like, it's like, no, you know, you get the product, you review it. And I'm always been honest about it, whether I like it or I, I don't like it. And I tend to talk about the things that I like. If something sucks, I don't necessarily want to waste the time on it. And I don't think it's, it's, it's nice to say something sucks because people work hard. I'm just not going to talk about it. But anyways, I enjoyed it and people were, um, but we, still, I mean, obviously people enjoyed it because they're watching hours and hours of this, but we still don't have the sweatshirt or the sweatshirt. We don't have this. Some people don't have a sweatshirt. We don't have a season two. And I just looked at time and this, this news, I'm just rambling on, um there's there's still a little bit of news like uh james mcavoy not really news but he he talked about like regrets from like x-men movies he said that working on those was like one of the most positive experiences he had like he he really enjoyed like days of future past and, and stuff like that he was just kind of bummed that they didn't really explore the like i mean he's i didn't read the whole thing you know, I just saw people like quoting him, but he's talking about the relationship between him and Eric. And I'm assuming he's talking about like, their friendship and then like their the rival, you know, the, the the shattering of the friendship, the different ideals. I don't think he was like referencing any like, oh, maybe there's some romantic interest in them. You know, we're gonna add this into the canon or whatever. I just think he's saying how they were such they were like best friends and then they became like enemies and and he was really bummed how they didn't really explore that because you you know with James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender you know they were they were Magneto was on the team he was training the the first class mutants whatever and then you know they go their separate ways so he was kind of bummed that that um, they didn't really explore that because then it just kind of went off the rails a little bit and then as he's talk as I'm reading like the stuff that he's talking about and he says that you know he hasn't been called by Kevin Feige or anything like that but I'm thinking it's like how cool would it be. If they're like, hey, let's let's get James McAvoy to be Professor X, and whenever we reboot the the X Men, because you know he, he's still, I would say, a young dude. I mean, he's, I might, be, I don't know if I'm older than him. I don't know if he's older than me or whatever. But you know, we always had when he was in the movies, he was a young Professor X, and you know, Professor X is is older. He, I don't think he is as old as Professor X would have been. But he is old. I I think it would, he could still obviously do the role, and I I think that would be awesome if if he did. You know, like like actually, I'm not gonna. I don't, I don't want to say anything else because okay, I was gonna say Famke Jansen. She she was great. She was she was really good as as Jean in the first movies. For what, I mean, I wasn't super crazy with some of the writing and the directions of her character, but like you couldn't cast her as Jean in the next movie because. For me, I would hope that we would get a younger Gene. You know, it's like in the early... I mean, are we going to get like X-Men Generation 1, you know, the original X-Men, where, you know, she did a great job. If we're looking at down the road, then yeah, you know, it'd be cool to see her back. 
I can't remember the last time I've seen her or anything. But you get what I'm saying. Where James McAvoy, since he was a younger X-Men and, you know, Patrick Stewart played him and, you know, in other movies. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> last bit of news. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, as people are still talking about Black Panther and Namor. Ugh. Uh, it, uh, it's apparently Universal still has the solo movie rights to Namor. So Marvel Studios can't do a solo Namor movie. They're not allowed to. They don't have the rights to do it. And apparently Universal still has the rights to the Hulk, like Hulk solo movies. You know, uh, with Incredible Hulk, that was distributed by them. You know, Marvel Studios did the movie. That's before they were a studio. Paramount used to distribute the Marvel Studios movies before they were like part of Disney and all that. But that movie was, you know, it's been 14 years since Incredible Hulk. I don't get, how does this rights things work? Because I always thought it was like, you know, there's X number of years. And I always thought it was like five years or seven years. That if a studio doesn't do something with the characters, then they lose right. Which is how Fox lost rights to Daredevil. Because they didn't make a Daredevil movie in time. The, the Whatever the deal lapsed. And then, you know, Marvel got Daredevil back. With X Men, you know they bought Fox, so they, you know they, they got the rights there automatically. But it's just weird because what is you know you know Universal's holding how what is, what is, I want to know what is the deal? What makes them? How long can they hold the rights if they they're not going to do anything? Could Universal like hey let's do a Namor movie and we're just going to cast someone else? We're going to cast <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I was going to say Jason Momoa, but that would I don't don't do that, Jason. You're you can't be Aquaman and Namor. That would be weird. Although, I always wonder, would he be a better Namor than Aquaman? Hmm. Something to think about. Um, but yeah, just cast cast Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> have him work in both studios. Has anyone done that? Do we have anyone do, doing Marvel and DC characters? There's got to be someone, right? I can't think right now. And this, this has been like the longest news ever. So that's going to be the news for the week. With comics at Image, there was the Ascender Deluxe Edition. So this is a hardcover that, that contains Ascender 1 through 18. So you, you can get that. It's a great series. You should read that. Read Descender and then Ascender. Um, there was also Plush number one. So I I, I try to I look into the number one issues just to see you know anything about this. So with this, I wasn't really sure what to what this was about you know i hadn't heard anything about it serial killing cannibalistic furries plastic and vinyl creators doug wagner and daniel hillard are back so i read what was the one that just came out was it was it vinyl or was it plastic maybe it was plastic i just read like the one and it was was it was an interesting story or series so this time they've recruited colorist extraordinaire rico renzi who for their dist- disturbing neon horror spin on the fursuit psychopaths and bizarre love on fursuit psychopaths and bizarre not on the anyways in plush devin fulchner is coerced into attending his first furry convention when he accidentally happens upon a group of furries devouring a human the insanity insanity begins do they just want devin for dinner or something much more wicked um 
it's not quite how it i mean it's there's there's other things that happen too but the, the art i really dig the art and um <laughs> i i have no idea where, where this is gonna go rogue son issue eight is back so rogue son this kid finds out his dad was a superhero and his his dad left him when he was a kid left him and his mom so he, he's got all this resentment and then it turns out his dad had this other family and lived in this rich mansion and it's like wait you didn't want us but you had this like what is going on and everything like that so he kind of you know is given the the suit or, or not suit i don't know why i said suit um and given like the powers of of this and you know trying to learn with this but what's what's interesting is he's not like your typical teenage superhero he's he's kind of a jerk you know he he's not like completely horrible but he he's not like you know super you know you know goody goody so that i think that makes it kind of interesting that kind of breaking the mold a little bit so you, you should check that out and then Stillwater, Stillwater number 16 so we find out here how the heck is what how is still water happening so it's the idea of still water in this town you're you're basically immortal you know you 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 don't die you if you get hurt you heal and everything like that so this this issue really takes us back how did all this start and it's it's it's, it's kind of it is interesting and i know i use that word a lot but it's interesting to see like where this comes from and what this means and uh so where where is this going to go so there is a way to stop everything because you know there's there's this like these warring factions within the the town of stillwater because the, the the those in power they're like okay people can't leave stillwater because if word gets out then you know the government's going to come and dissect everyone and you know do whatever so you know you you have this kind of control aspect where the people are kind of held hostage and everything but it's like who wants to live in this town and not, never step foot out and do anything but yeah so there's some some interesting things here where we, we see like what this might mean and you know where, where this is going to go so uh, you should re re check out this series it's it's been really really good at dc we had wildstorm 30th anniversary special Okay, now my problem with with this is, it's it's another one of like oversized issues. So I mean, I've mentioned before, like these these hundred page issues, they're cool and everything. You know, if if you're a fan of the contents, and be like, oh, this is awesome, so much stuff here. But I, you know, when when I have to read hundred pages on top of like all these other books, it's just too much. And then as I'm reading these, you know, at first I'm like, are these all new stories are some of these just like reprints of, of older stories and i don't think they were obviously because you know like matthew rosenberg's writing like the grifter he writes a grifter story and you know ed brisson does one you know, with mike henderson doing art and and so forth but you know we we have a death blow story by brandon Choi with jim lee and alex sinclair does uh the colors so it was like wait is this an old story i don't think it was because while I was there at the beginning when Wildstorm first started, you know, or even before that, you know, when Gen or Gen 13, but yeah, Gen 13 and with uh, Wildcats and everything. But I kind of, there, there came a point like shortly after that where money was tight and I had to cut down on some of the, you know, the stuff that I was reading. So I think this is all new, 
but you know because there there is a gen 13 story which is kind of weird uh, j scott campbell you know writes and does the pencil there so that, that was cool you know scott williams as the inks but you know we have warren ellis a story by him and, and brian hitch uh, there's christos gage with dustin win um and there's brett booth he writes and pencils a backlash story because i know he's so he loves the, the character uh dan abnett uh, there, there's like all this stuff here greg pock uh the, another ed brisson story uh just spokes doing the art megan fitzmartin um with will conrad there's a joshua williamson so i actually i, I realized this i didn't i didn't finish this because i don't think i got to the the ed brisson story i don't know if i got to the greg pock story I, I definitely i read the matthew rosenberg grister anyways and is, is it zealot or zealot I always say zealot because zealot. I know what I've heard the word, you know, zealot. Someone's a zealot, but I don't. For some reason, I always call her zealot, which I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so I didn't have time to read this because it's it's so long. And but it's it's there's some 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 cool stuff here. And if you're a fan, you should definitely read this. Then there's like grifter DC's grifter got run over by a reindeer. I'm like, all right, where is this going? And then it's it's basically just a holiday issue. This, so this is like an eighty-page book. I only got to like I, I like maybe not. I don't even think I, I read half of it. Some of them are just they're just they're just stories that I, I, they're meant to be fun stories. But to me, it's it's kind of like why why am I this? It's it's like I'm. It's taking up my time is what I'm trying to politely say that I don't have time for this, which I know that's ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, yeah. And moving on blue beetle graduation day. So was, what was cool about this, they released a English and a Spanish version of this. So you have your, your choice, but even so I, I went with the English version, you know, I, I could probably do the Spanish one, but there was literally like one page where Jaime's parents are talking or is it his parents? his mom and some it's like all spanish and i'm wondering i was like so i could you know read it and i'm like what is this like for people who can't read it it must be annoying you got this whole like literally an entire page of dialogue and you know maybe you can pick up some words so learn learn another language like is i guess guess the message so we have blue beetle jaime he's graduating high school but the problem is it seems like he can't fully control the suit. Like the suit kind of is like, Hey, there's danger coming up. You need to go, you know, take care of this. Yeah. So, uh, it, it'll be, and there's a, the reach is, is coming back. And then I, so it, it must've been like a fifth week we had, uh, which is weird because you would think, I think there was more books that came out Thanksgiving week than this, this past week we had Batgirls annual, and, you know, a lot of times the annuals, for lack of a better word, they're, they're kind of throwaway issues. And I, I, that's a horrible way to describe them. But what I mean is they don't necessarily always have a big impact on the, the ongoing series. It's just like, here's a book. And, and a lot of times it's not even the, creative, the same creative team. It's, it's an opportunity, which is awesome for other people to write the characters, which is cool for them. And it's also cool for readers because you get to see someone else's take on, on a character. But this one, it, it's, 
And it's not even really a fully complete story because a lot of times, you know, the annuals are self-contained. You get those occasional ones, which kind of bothered me where there'd be like this big, you know, event going on. Like, and I always say like Batman Contagion, which I don't know if this was, if it went into the annuals, but where you have these multi-part stories and then the conclusion is in the annual. But it's like, well, what if you don't have access to the annual? You know, what if you miss it? Then you you don't get this the story. I feel like the annuals where I know I, I said they're throwaway issues, and I really I don't mean that as as it sounds, but they should be self-contained stories because it should be sort of like a celebration of the year of the comic, and it's something outside of it's, it. Shouldn't be a regular issue. It should be something big or fun or whatever that maybe doesn't work in in the, the regular you know twenty pages page comic or something like that. I don't know. So this one it does start up something, and basically what happens. It's not. I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but it's something's going to have to be addressed. Where uh, uh, Cassandra, <laughs> I mean, some somebody and Stephanie. I was trying to say Barbara, but it's not Barbara. So Stephanie, spoiler, Batgirl, and Cassandra Kane, Batgirl, they somehow swap bodies, not by choice. So that's got to be dealt with because then there's other things. And I don't want to go more into it, but um, yeah, there's some some big things. like. So I'm looking forward to seeing more. And I was worried because... I thought that Batgirls was was over, that it was ending. So I hope this means that there's more. I don't remember if it said when, because I, I forget how if it was it was the issue twelve that came out, and I felt like that was it. They 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 kind of made it sound like the way it ended, like that was the last issue. But hopefully we get more. And then there is Nightwing Annual, which um, <laughs> this was uh, <laughs> we get a story about the dog Haley Bitewing, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> it's basically like a dream sequence where where uh, Nightwing's three-legged dog becomes a hero to have to save him. It's a cute story. <laughs> it's it's meant to be fun, and I guess some people are are don't like fun, and we're not happy about that. It's like get over it. And then there's a another story between uh, Dick and Jonathan Kent, which was was kind of cool because you know with with Nightwing kind of tr- helping train. Jonathan, this is when Superman was wasn't around. Um, then you see like some parallels, like how Dick is approaching it to how like Bruce approached it with him. So it's just kind of interesting. Then there's a uh, Justice Society of America number one, and it's like um, holy crap. So there's uh, some some crazy things that that happen here. Um, I. I I'm, was kind of shocked with this. So if you've read, was it Generation? I forget what Golden Age, and then there is uh, Star Girl. So these are Jeff Johns, and you know he's he's bringing the Justice Society characters back because it feels like they've been just strangely unused for some reason. And here, you know, there there's mention like in the the Who's Who's file or whatever they're, they're called. There's mention of like all these kids, like kids of villains and other characters, like obscure, whatever. And he kind of like fleshed them out. And and when I was looking, I was like, really? It's like, I don't know any of these characters because I obviously wasn't reading comics in the 40s and the 50s or 60s even. And it sounded like, you know, they were, they were referencing different things. So I don't, I don't think, and I could be wrong. I don't think Jeff Johns like flat out created all these kids, all these other, you know, different characters and that. 
but we see them here and um so, so, some not so good things happen to, to some characters and it's just like wait what and just, yeah so i'm just really digging this and i don't know i i feel like part of the appeal is because this is like sort of separate from the regular continuity because you know we we have we have helena wayne we have you know the helena wayne huntress which is you know either alternate reality or future you know however you want to look at that so i i kind of like that it separates it from the regular dc continuity and i think what what i like about that is because I get so, as you know, I get so weird or weird. I get so confused and annoyed by the continuity because it's like, did this happen before this or after this? And there, there's never any clear distinction. And then at some point, then they'll reference this. It'll be like five months later, like, oh, this takes place before this. I'm like, are you serious? So you're saying this story takes place like six months ago where all this other stuff has happened since. And it it just, it it bothers me. And I get sometimes things are, are hard to to schedule but that's like the editor's jobs or that's the whole publisher's job to make sure everything flows there and then if you want to release this don't release it six months later you know try to coordinate it or figure i don't know so anyways i like that this just has like a separate feel so you don't have to worry about the other things bogging it down but we are obviously in a familiar setting you know so I, I strongly recommend these books. I am really, really digging them. Uh, Detective Comics 2022 Annual. So this is the is tying into like the current storyline in Detective Comics, which I'm not super crazy. There's these, I don't even know remember their names. These uh, two people came and they're like, we we own Arkham Asylum. We own the land. You know, it belongs to our family. It was taken from us, you know, 200 years ago or whatever and, and stuff like that. So Bruce has kind of been touched, uh, affected with that. And this goes back to like way early days. And part of the thing that bothers me as we're seeing this like, you know, two or 300 year old story, there's so many things there that are like mirroring current things. Like there's these like Wainwright families or something like that, where the parents were killed and in front of the kid. It's like, hmm, Wainwright. So basically everything's happening the same. There's sort of like a constable in, in, in the town who's supposed to be like James Gordon. You know, he has white hair. I think he's even smokes. And then there's a, I think a preacher guy supposed to be like Scarecrow. I think his name was Crane or something like that. And then there's this, uh, t- like the, the town medicine woman, or she lives in an outskirt of town, but some people, the religious dude thinks she's a witch. And I think she's supposed to be like Poison Ivy. Here's our are like kind of mirror mirroring current characters and it's just it's it's like no it's not like history repeats itself or it's it's cyclical where you're gonna have the same things happening over and over again Uh, i don't know so i'm i'm not super gung-ho about this current batman story and and part of it because then you have these two i don't want someone to come in i i don't like that uh, Arkham Asylum was made into Arkham Tower. I feel like Arkham Asylum should be Arkham Asylum. You know, I, I like the idea of it being there, even though it's it's apparently run like garbage. That you know they they can't contain it, control it. But it just feels like that should always be there. Just like you know, Batman should be living in a Batcave. You know, and, and now he's living in a townhouse. And I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I did read through, I, I read more of this than I had like current issues because I've been kind of skimming through it. But I, I did kind of read through, even though I, I don't really like past stories, but I was just kind of curious to see where this is going to go. But yeah, all well, that. And then there's Superman Kal-El Return Special Number 1. And again, with the, the timing of when Superman comes. So this is apparently before Death of the Justice League, all this stuff, which is just like is so ridiculous, the timing. that It's like the just they're already like on their way back, but this is still taking place before. And so all the, obviously, I mean, Kal-El on War World, all that's, you know, had to happen before, but it's just, uh, I mean, just it's just so annoying that it can't be coordinated better. But here, it's more about Lex Luthor being the big, you know, douchebag that he is. And I just, I, I, I don't like, I don't care how smart he is that he's just so egotistical or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And between this and Batman Fortress, right? I'm, I'm just, he's just a regular dude. And I, I just don't like how arrogant he is and, uh, maybe you know he's just so smart that he knows that like no one's ever going to put him in his place or whatever. Or it's just you have all that. Okay, then over at Marvel, we we had Avengers Assemble Alpha, and I'm just I'm I'm still not not getting into this. Um, uniting the Avengers, Avengers Forever, and Avengers of One Million BC. We do see who this Avengers Prime character is. Uh, we we kind of we don't get a full like or, you know history on, on this character, so I'm not really sure the full details. But you know we, we do see that. What was annoying here is so we we've had like the current Avengers have been going through. You know they're going after the multiverse masters of evil or whatever. I, forget, I don't know why I can't remember their names now. And the Avengers from one million BC they just start like fighting the the current like modern day avengers and it's just it's so like f- forcing the hero versus hero and then we're going to team up you know it's just it's how are you you know just so quick to like oh i'm just going to start attacking rather than talk and and the fact that they're like destroying like oh here's a mountain Whoosh, smash through it and you know the avengers like we we can't you know change history you got to be careful what we do and but it's just, just that's that whole attitude and everything is just, just so stupid. It's like you're supposed to be heroes and you're just so quick to whatever. But there are some cool parts where, like you know, Jane is Valkyrie and she kind of takes control. Just not really a spoiler, but Odin, you know, he's there with Mjolnir and he's like blah blah blah, and then zoom, she kind of takes control of Mjolnir. Which was was kind of funny, and he's like, "How are you doing this? You, you bewitched my hammer." And, I don't know. Captain America, symbol of truth, number seven. So this is the Sam Wilson one. You know, he's dealing with the the uh, emissary of whatever that country was killed, and he's dealing with that. And um, it's it's weird because I don't think this is. I think this was. He's on the cover, but Ian Rogers, who was kind of Captain America's son during, um, I think he was he was supposed to be, he was I don't know if he was created by the Red Skull or something like that, but Captain America kind of took him in and like raised him because he was living in that dimension Z for like 
decades somehow, which I don't like that time changed differently there. And Sharon was there. And so he's he's basically he's essentially Captain America's son, not his biological son. So he's back. He's an adult now, and he's going by Nomad. And um, so Sam meets up with him and finds out that he's actually been back for a little while doing some some sort of shady, not necessarily shady, but doing some um, harsh things for you know the people in power and and like stuff that Captain America probably wouldn't approve. So like Steve doesn't know he's he's there, he's back and he's like, "Well, we'll, we'll save that for another time or something like that." So I don't know where that's going to go, but um we'll see. And then there's uh Peter Parker and Miles Morales Spider-Man Double Trouble. So this is by Vita Ayala and Mariko Tamaki. They wrote it and then Guri Hero does the art. And this is like similar to the other like Double Trouble. Um, I think I forget if it was Spider Man Venom Double Trouble, and there was also like a Thor and Loki one. So I just I love Guri Hero's art, and you know I absolutely love. I I really think the art is what made me love Gwenpool so much. You know the the writing uh, was it Christopher Hastings? That writing was was great. But combined with the the art and the colors is just so 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 great. I mean, I love that series so much, and this is just such a goofball series. So it is not to be taken seriously. Uh, it's it's just it's it's weird and fun. Like, is there an age on this? I'm trying to think who who this is geared toward nine plus. So this is something that younger readers can read, which is cool that they do. I lo- absolutely love that they do this because this is still the the Spider Man who's Venom is his roommate. You know, he can't stand Venom and you know he wants him to move out, but you know he can't get him out to move out and then he goes with Miles Morales and they go on this little mission or whatever and and it's just it's very very funny and cute. <laughs> and I'm sure some people will be like, "Oh, I'm not going to read that," but it is funny. Uh then there's Planet Hulk uh Worldbreaker. Um it's, I'm, I'm trying to figure, okay, so I'm trying to see like where this fits in at first, because this is written by Greg Pak, and at first I was like, wait, how does this fit in with the current Hulk stuff? But I guess maybe it does, a thousand years from now, on the planet Sakaar, a young woman with green skin searches for the legendary green scar to help save her brother from a group of apocalyptic cultists, but which Hulk will she find? Um... Does it not say in here? And after all these years, is he truly the Sakar son who will save us all, or the world breaker who will destroy us? Shocking expansion, culmination of the mythos of Sakar and the halt of the heart of the Hulks from Planet Hulk scribe Greg Pak and visionary Devil's Reign artist Manuel Garcia. So this is obviously taking place in the future, and um, yeah, so. I'm 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 I'll I'll see what's gonna where it's gonna go, but I'm just it was like well, not what I was expecting, and I I think I was confused at first. I'm reading this, I was like, wait, how does this fit in? But it's like not even written by, uh, Donnie Donnie um Cates. Uh, then we have Star Wars Darth Vader issue twenty nine. So there's more on the stuff with with um Sabe. Um, there is another handmaiden because sabe it seems has joined the emperor and is working with darth vader 
so they're trying to see can they free her and um it seems like they're trying to put sabe to the test like you know she's supposed to you know go kill this person or go do this and is she really going to do it you know or is she trying to infiltrate the empire somehow and so there's some 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 cool things there and i i just love the fact that they're using these characters uh i i think it would be great and i don't think Kira, i don't know if Kira knightley would ever do it but it, it'd be cool to see if you know her take on the character and, and do something else with it so we can see like where she, what does she do you know how did she take when when padme died and you know because we're, we're getting hints of that in this series so I, I think it's pretty cool but we'll probably never see that because they're telling it all here then there is strange number eight which is weird because i started reading this and i'm like wait what's going on i didn't read strange seven it's like how how did that happen so i had to read seven and i read eight and um so there's there's stuff with the harvestman character dude and depending on if you're caught up or anything like i don't want to spoil anything about that but uh we we get some more follow-up with, with that and also the organization you know we ha we have this oh what are they called uh this the science um cartel or whatever the blasphemy cartel so we, we find out about them there's also this like science division or not science there's like a, a magical division of shield uh, i forgot what their what their name was but something happened and they were kind of like erased so there's this one character who who was like working there and worked with steven before and, and all that so it's it's kind of taking this little turn it's like whoa this is kind of like opening things up and really like fleshing this little corner out so i, th I thought that was kind of cool and then there's Strange Academy Finals Issue 2. So uh, more on, you know, the, the kids. Uh, you know, we had all this tension from, you know, the recent fighting going on between different kids and everything like that. So now they're kind of brought together. So there, there's um, some interesting things there. And uh, and uh, obviously, if, you know, there's some darkness coming that they're going to be dealing with. So it's like j just in time, right? <laughs> So I that, that I'm I'm enjoying this. I mean, the, some of the, with the fighting, some of the characters just seem to be like not necessarily out of character, but it, it was just kind of annoying with like their thought process and how, it's like how can you just like turns like so suddenly? It just seemed weird. So I like that they're, they're hopefully coming back together and and not necessarily being fun and lighthearted, but you know there are some some crazy things happening. So we have that. Then there's Exterminators number three which I didn't read the second issue. I was going to read that, and so I didn't read this one because um, this is uh, this is a interesting book because um, uh, the first issue was just like not what I was expecting. So we'll have to, I'll have to go back and check that out. But that, and that is it. That is going to be comics for the week. All right, with the uh, peripheral season one, episode seven, the doodad. So I, I really want to go back and watch, or I didn't go back. I want to go and watch episode eight, but I'll have to do it after I record this. Other interesting things, uh, just with with the the book. So things are are they're not identical, which which is good, which is interesting. But one of the things which I wasn't really clear in the beginning is I'm listening to the audio book. So in the show. You know, the whole thing is is Alita, who's, like, missing, 
is uh, Wilf's sister, you know, or quote unquote sister. You know, they they survived the future and you know the ravages of you know the apocalyptic stuff that happened, and then they were you know brought into and ra- adopted by the same family and everything like that. But in the book, Alita was actually Wilf's ex's sister. So they had had broken up for whatever reason, and so it's weird that they decided because I think her name was Dedra, and I'm like, this character is not in the show. So it was weird that they they took that route, and then there's um there's something else that that was kind of different, and like I don't even know like Sharice's character. I don't know if she's in the book. Anyway, so it it's it's kind of kind of cool to hear the book and and just to see the differences and it's it's nice to know that they didn't say oh we're just gonna adapt it 100 percent and that might bother some people i mean i don't know if there's like hardcore fans of the books that are like why are they doing it this way because also in the book they really kind of take like the the money that comes from the the future sort of how they're manipulating stuff in the stub they're like taking over this whole town and just setting things up left and right and which is it's like wow you know things are going crazy so more and more people kind of sort of know you know there's like you know lawyers that know and just all this stuff so anyways with episode seven so uh they're flynn and burton's mom is doing the dishes and then she kind of like stops so and you look at her it's like wait did she lose her sight because she calls out this dude reese which in the book reese kind of betrays them he kidnapped he ha- he kidnaps flynn because he was threatened by um corbell to to bring her because he wants to talk to her to find out like what's going so again big differences here reese is reese is a, a good guy and everything because you know he's he's part of burton's squad and everything like that so he's like out on patrol or something like that and she says that she has to get to a doctor and she goes out to like the, the front step and then she's like oh don't don't call it bother calling burton you know, whatever and then he's like well okay let's go he's like my car is right in the drive she's like well i'm gonna need your help because I'm, I'm blind again so then we see bob uh the the, the, the killer dude the assassin whatever he's like watching from afar um so it's like, is he gonna follow them? Is that probably what's gonna happen? This guy, it's like, oh man. In the in the future, Lobier says to Flynn that it seems like so because you know she met with uh, Flynn, Burton, and Connor went into their peripherals in the future. So future says to Flynn that it seems like her life has taken some unexpected turns in the past week or so. And then she asks if she has a plan now, or if she's just gonna, you know, trade blows as they come. And then she's like, uh, "Then Lobier says to Beatrice, her like assistant person, or whatever, that she'd like to stretch her legs." And then she's like, "You know, no offense to Lev, but you know, he's chosen an, an oppressive decorating scheme." So basically, Lobier wants to leave the the house or whatever, and he just kind of laughs. And then he's like, "Oh, would you prefer to garden?" And Lobier is like, like, "No." She's like, "I'd like to to leave and take and take the three of them with me, so we can, you know, finish our chat al fresco, as they say." So then Flynn's like, uh, "Not to be more, or not to be disrespectful, but I'd feel more comfortable if Wolf could join us." So it's like, "What is Lobier?" You know, she just basically wants to take these three peripherals to you know take them, and is she going to arrest them? Like you know, she's or whatever, do something, detain them. 
So Ella, their mom is brought to Dee Dee's at the at the urgent care place. Tommy's at the police station. Receptionist, she's like, "Aren't you supposed to be on some kind of sick leave, whatever?" And he's like, "Yeah, but I realized I never finished the evidence collection from the incident on the bridge." She's so like, "I just want to make sure it's all cataloged properly." And she's like, "What evidence would that be?" He's like, "The the weaponry from that the old man was carrying." And she's like, "What exactly would that be?" And he's like, "There was a, a Glock and this other uh, doodad." And, which is the name of the episode. And he's like, was was anything logged in after I was hit? She's like, oh, when you were hit by that invisible SUV? So she starts to, you know, picks up the phone. She starts to call Dee Dee. And he, like, puts, you know, his finger down. He's he's like, uh, no, you you don't need to call her. She's like, you just need to lie down in a dark room with a beer in your hand. And he's like, you know, I will I will right after I, you answer my question. So she just looks at him. She's like, fine. She looks up in the computer, and then she's like, nothing was put into the evidence except for your wrecked cruiser. She's like, now go home. Then in the future, Lowbeer takes them to the Met training facility. They call it the zoo. And Flynn's like, why? Lowbeer says that it's where animals come to play. It's completely secure from any uh, RI surveillance, research institute, or interference, or CLEPT for that matter. So CLEPT is like one of the groups or whatever. Uh, so she wants Burton and Connor to climb eight floors because you know she's talking to Beatrice. They're gonna go through some training um, s- scenario thing. So she like raises her hand and the structure starts to appear and like forming. Lobier says that unlike Miss Miss Fisher, they're kind of new to their bodies. So this is where their metcoids are tested. So think of it as something like what her sister believed she was playing when she first came here. So it's a, a sim, I think you call it. So Beatrice tells them it's pretty simple. They're going to go up each floor, killing or disabling everything that they encounter and then until they reach the roof. And they're like, well, what happens there? She's like a surprise. And Connor asks, he's like, are you human? Because you don't seem you know, to be concerned. And she's like, well, you know, that, that's kind, but why don't you just worry about yourself? And Burton's like, do we get any weapons? And she's like, whatever you can claim on the way. So then the lights kind of go out. Connor tells Burton, he's like, you have night vision. And he's like, how? He's like, it's on the pallet. He's like, just like our with our haptics. So this, this bad guy with like a baton comes in, in front of him. She moves, Beatrice moves, and, and then they're, they're all fighting. And so Connor's like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. And she's like, are you good with numbers? And she's like, how many assailants were there? He's like, six. And she's like, there'll be 12 on the next, 18 after that, and so on. So Connor's like, 48 up top. And she says, only if you make it that far. And Burton like looks at the bodies and he's like, what are they? And she's like, they're your basic coid. He's like, what's a coid? So she's like a robot bipedal. And she lifts like the ski mask of one of them to show like the rest of the robot face with like, the, the lines and stuff like that. She mentions that uh, speed was part of her unit's motto. So they should get moving. She's like, most of her trainees are already clearing the third floor by now. So then, then she takes the ski mask and puts it on. So Tommy goes to the impound yard and he like cuts the chain. He looks at his cruiser. He finds a bag Glock and do that in his car for some reason. He hits uh, the power switch, you know, and the the doodad, the guns starts like powering up. He doesn't know exactly what it does. He accidentally fires it in the car, <laughs> and it's like it goes, you know, just like the shock wave, whatever, just like kind of shatters stuff. And then the sheriff calls him. He's like, "Where are you?" And you're like, they're like, whatever you're doing, you need to drop it. It's like, I need you to come over to Corbell Pickett's house. And Tommy says, he's like, I thought I was on leave. And sure, it's like, you were, I just canceled it. So then we see Bob is outside the urgent med place building. Uh, he 
pulls up his sleeve of his shirt and he starts cutting down his arm with like a blade and it, uh, he stumbles into the waiting room so Reese is in there he's, he's like oh do you need help and then he like stabs him like several times like in the stomach Reese tries fighting him off Dee Dee and Ella they're in an exam room and they like hear like commotion outside so Dee Dee she voice calls like call Tommy and then you know her phone starts doing it Reese is like putting up a good fight considering how many times he was stabbed in the stomach but then uh, the, the phone call to Tommy just goes straight to voicemail Bob puts Reese in a sleeper hold it's like okay really so I don't, I don't know who this Bob guy is but it's it just to me it seems kind of dumb that he has all this strength and energy considering everything he's been through you know he he's he's out of breath in this but he he he's an old dude he's been shocked like three times he was in a, a massive car accident you know when he was knocked out before that and and now he's fighting this dude this young dude who's like the soldier trained and he's able to do all this well, i guess this is why he's such a good assassin or whatever it just seems like a bit much because also you know as he's been leaving leading his his life secret life you know how active has he been i guess he's still staying in shape and everything i don't know so dd and ella come out calling reese's name and then bob points his gun at them he's like is anyone else here and Dee's like no because she told the receptionist that or she told reese to tell the receptionist she can take her lunch so Ella's like freaking because you know she can't see. She doesn't know what's going on. And he like he's like, calm her down, or you both get shot. So Dee Dee tells Ella that Reese stepped out, and then he tells him to sit, like on their hands. So he takes Reese's phone, and this is another thing that really bothered me. So t- maybe it's because it's the future, they don't care so much anymore. He takes his phone out, holds it up to his face, and it unlocks, even though his eyes are closed. It's like that's not supposed to happen you know you your eye it's to prevent you if you're sleeping from someone taking your phone and just unlocking it while you're sleeping you can't just hold up and it's not even like trying to open the eyelids or anything like he just holds it up in front of his face dude it unlocks in the future Ossian talks to ash she mentions lowbeard took their dna and she says well maybe you know she had to make sure that they were who they said they were so then he looks at the cup she, she used and he's like oh you know we could bloody sample hers and ash is like but then they'd be renditioned. And she says that, you know, she never met a senior police officer before. Then Lev calls in saying that he wants to access the peripherals point of view to see what they're discussing. And she says that she's afraid she can't do that or won't rather. And he's like, excuse me. She's like, the inspector would know if they were to attempt it, just as she knows that they're having this misguided conversation. Ossian's kind of shocked. He's like, cause he, you know, he doesn't hear that. He's like, he actually asked that. You know, they, they should just pack it up. You know, she says that they lose access to the stub and what's inside the girl. But he says he's not sure it's worth dying for. She's not sure if she could live with having, you know, run away, having run run from it. Lobier says that to Flynn that the, the aunties have managed to track down some interesting information. So the aunties are their Met, the Met's data sorting algorithms. She says that she should be happy to know that her friend, Mr. Penske, didn't lose his limbs in his own timeline. So, Connor. So, that would mean that the RI must have opened a stub at least a decade earlier than they have all been assuming. So, as such, uh, significant divergences have already been occurring in their two timelines, the most disturbing of which is the jackpot. And it appears to be happening at an accelerated rate in Flynn's world. She assumes that the RI is driving this process intentionally, and Wolf's like, to what end? And Lobier says that that's a question only Charisse Newland can answer. And Flynn's like, 
what about the Texas war, the secession? Did it happen for you? And Lobier's like, indeed. It's like both Mr. Penske and your brother went off to fight in it, but the haptic technology implanted in their body was decades from being developed in my own timeline, so they fought as common soldiers. So Connor, um, he survived the war unscathed, but it turns out her brother did, did not. She's like, did, did he get wounded? And she's like, killed. So she says to Wilf that she thought, he said details like this were impossible to retrieve. So Flynn says this. And Lobier's like, well, he was correct for the most part. The aunties are privy to archives unavailable to the general public. Then Flynn's like, what about me? And she says that the data becomes a bit spotty once the jackpot takes off. But it appears she married and had two children. So Flynn's like, married who? And then she just like tells her, it's like, you know, how, she shouldn't be given all this information. I guess things are changed, so it doesn't matter. But she's like, Sheriff Thomas Constantine. So now the, the aunties have told her about a Flynn Fisher who no longer exists. And But what about her? Uh, or what about her? She knows next to nothing. So Lobier wants to ask her a few questions, like kind of like a job interview. She wants her to answer as quickly as she can without, without thinking. Meanwhile, Burton and Connor are still fighting their way up. They're fighting with batons and swords, whatever. We see Bob. He's he's talking on and on. He's still checking Reese's phone, like doing. He's doing something there, and he's he's talking about like knife work and you know whatever. At the rooftop, Burton's like, "Oh, this is freaking amazing." Connor's like, "I told you, bruh." <laughs> he's like, "Um, he's like, would they really say bruh?" And and was it twenty thirty nine or something like that? They're still saying that because that is not like a new thing. So. Uh, he, he's like, I'm moving here full time. And Burton's like, asks, he's like, to Beatrice, he's like, what's the surprise? And Beatrice says that the trading module isn't complete until only one of them is left standing. So then she tosses her blade over the, the edge of the building. So they basically, it's, they have to fight each other. So the questions are, uh, Lowbeer is like, what's your greatest fear? And Flynn's like, my mama dying. What's your greatest strength? And she's like, that I don't know when to give up. Lobier asks, what's your you know greatest weakness? And Flynn's like, same thing. Lobier says, if you could turn back time and have none of this ever happen, would you? And she's like, no. Uh, if I had the uh, power to sever the connection between our two worlds, would you have me do it? And Flynn's like, no. And then Lobier's like, why not? So there's a pause. And she's like, you thought too long on that one. Flynn asks, she's like, can I ask you some questions? And Lobier says, how about three? As if... I were a genie. So so she's like, what's your biggest fear? And she's like, the past. And she's like, like the one I'm from? Precisely, two down. So she wasted one of her questions on that. And she's like, one remaining. And then she's like, do you actually have that power to cut our connection? And then Lobier's like, I'm sorry, dear. I seem to have overpromised. It seems your brother and his friends are almost finished. So I'll say goodbye and Godspeed. So it's like, why didn't she want to answer that? Uh, she says, you know, Flynn will be more active um, on their next visit so the fight continues basically beatrice versus the two of them they're both like fighting her she takes down burton then kicks connor off the top of the roof and he's like whoa he's like having a blast as he's like flying off the edge he wakes up in a present and burton asks he's like oh do you always feel like that when you come out and connor says that he's like i'm gonna marry her he wants to marry beatrice burton's phone buzzes he can't read it because he's just so dizzy then flynn says reese took mama to urgent med and said to come right now. But wait, that can't be because it's really Bob texting, right? It is. 
Burton tries getting up, and he's like, oh, give me a second. And, and I love this. Flynn's like, man to fudge up, Burton. We got to go. <laughs> Tommy arrives at Corbell's. The front door's open. So he calls out to the sheriff, and then there's like some some like footprints. He pulls out his gun, and he sees Mary in like a pool of blood. So he turns. He continues the search. There's like bloody footprints that lead through the kitchen. He can hear Corbell and Sheriff Jackman talking. Corbell, he's like, says that he's like, well, upset doesn't begin to describe how I'm feeling. He's like, I want to kill someone. And then Tommy, he sees Tommy whisper. He's like, what's he doing here? So Jackman tells Tommy to holster his weapon. He's like, what happened? Jackman says that prisoner that you lost, he turned up here and killed Mary Pickett. He stole a vehicle, so now he wants Tommy to head to the Fisher residence and take Burton into custody. He's like, might as well grab the kid's sister too while you're at it. And Tommy's like, what did the Fishers have to do with any of this? And Jackman says that he's still crossing his T's and dotting his I's on that. But uh, how does this sound as a first draft? So he's like, Burton and his war buddies, they've been dipping their collective toe into the drug trade. Seems that they've crossed somebody they shouldn't have and that somebody hired a hitman to come take them out of this world. So he says that he had the hitman in his custody, but he lost him and he made his way over here to the picket residence intent on stealing a car and making good on his escape. He killed poor Mary rather violently in the process. So then he's like, how's that sound, buccaneer? <laughs> and he's like, like you just fudging made it up. So he laughs. He's like, well, that's what you do, Tommy, when you tell a story. You make poop up. And he's like, sort of like you've been doing for the last 10 years or so, pretending that you don't know the way things run around here. He's like telling yourself fairy tale stories, how, you know, you know, just so you can feel good when all the while you're working for me, which means you're working for Corbell Pickett. So he's like, so now go get Burton. And, you know, Corbell has some questions that he wants to ask him. Tommy thinks that he thinks it loudly. He's like, no. And the sheriff scoffs. He says, he's like, that old man said your life had reached a fork in the road. I think he was dead right about that. So he asks if he really needs him to lay this out for him. And he's like, sure, you could do the right thing here. Take Corbell and me down to the station in handcuffs like two dirt dogs. And then the three of us, we're going to be, pre you know, we're going to present our stories to the world. It's like me and Corbell would tell a story about how you, Tommy, tried to blame others for your failures. You panicked. You made up a story about how Jackman crashed an invisible, you know, he's talking about himself. So how he crashed an invisible SUV into his cruiser, made off with his prisoner, turned him loose at Corbell Pickett's house. They'd get set free. Maybe Tommy would just lose his job, but there could be charges of false arrest. Or he could go the other road the go along and get along road where he could keep doing the fine job that he's been doing and maybe pick up some other responsibilities too. So Lobier watches the fighting training footage. They fought well and used each other to further them along. So Lobier asked um, Beatrice what she thought of them. She's like, they're brave, resolute, and all the other stuff. The brother is likely to be more predictable and dependable, but she might be more inclined to turn to his friend in a crisis. And she's like, Lobier's like, why? It's like the brother's more reliable and predictable. Beatrice, you know, she thinks, and she's like, I'm afraid I lack specific data on that, Inspector. She's like, the decision was made in my deep neural network below any level of consciousness. So Beatrice asks, she's like, so wait, what does that mean? Think about that. So Beatrice asks, she's like, what about Flynn? And Lobier's like, still an open question, which I hope to answer shortly. Then Beatrice says, Sharice Newland is downstairs requesting an audience. So Beatrice says uh, Lobier was expecting her. 
And then she says that she lifted the veil ever so slightly on her visit to the, the Zubov resident, allowing them to be surveilled as they arrived. But she didn't expect Dr. Newland to react with such alacrity. I was like, alacrity? What kind of word is that? I had to look it up with, with such eagerness. Tommy gets in the truck. He calls himself, he's like, you're such a fudging loser. He asks himself, like, how the fudge am I going to live with this? Or how are you going to live with this? And then he like looks over at the bagged evidence, which is still in his front seat. Bob tells Ella and D D D that he's waiting to kill a couple people. So obviously that means Flynn and Burton. In the car, Flynn's like, you know, they're they're looking. She's like, Mama isn't responding. And Reese sends another text. He's like, Your mother is asking for you to come as soon as possible. And Burton says, Your mother. He's like, Yeah, that's weird. Because I guess he wouldn't call her that or say it like that. So he asks Leon if he can link up with him through their haptics. And Leon's like, oh, poop. He's like, I can't get any readings on his vital. So that means Reese is dead. Uh, Charisse meets with Lobier and Beatrice. She comments that she's almost tempted to call the police. Looking, you know, she's looking at Beatrice. She's like, the uncanny valley statute is rather clear that peripherals should never operate as autonomous beings. So then Lobier says Beatrice exists under a special... So Beatrice is a peripheral, like uh, running on its own. So we didn't know that. So Lobier says that Beatrice exists under a special waiver to the UVS. And then um, Charisse ad- admires her build. She says she doesn't look like... or She doesn't look like the RI's handiwork. There's a weird um, handshake when Charisse says that it's like a, a pleasure to meet her. And then Charisse talks about using peripherals to replace loved ones and she mentions a child or a daughter so so is beatrice supposed to be a uh, lobier's daughter she gets this weird look on her face and lobier apologizes says that she's going to need her to, to power down and please scrub the past five minutes from your memory so beatrice obeys and does that so lobier looks at sharice she's like pleased with yourself and sharice is like why keep it a secret lobier says it would complicate the relationship she asks, she's like, why are you here? And Sharice says, something of great value has been stolen from her. And she's like, oh my goodness, here we go. Asian is looking over, like, brain readouts, whatever. He's, like, nervous. Uh, Ash says that they're the only ones who know, but he's like, Alita knows. And Ash is like, well, she's dead or gone to ground so thoroughly that she might as well be. So that that's the thing. In the book, It's they're, they're saying that she died like at the beginning that you know these like robot nanobites things like just ate her or something like that and i was like she can't be dead because you know she's appeared later in the show but i guess i don't know if it's if it's just veering off that differently or if if things are you know are going to be different in in the book he says you know how do they access the bacteria and she says that all they need to do is hire someone in the stub to and then lev walks in and she's like she says you know won't that be part of the pleasure stealing it right from under his arrogant and then loves like arrogance and they're, they're speaking in their encrypted language love is like arrogance is a form of stupidity wouldn't you agree so then there's like shocked and he says that it would be arrogance to assume one's encryption is unbreakable so and then he's with his kid he asks him he's like run to my study and fetch me a knife and he's like which one any will do 
So he says that he's in a quandary. Part of him wants to destroy both of them, but the part of him with the cooler head realizes how much he needs them, their skill sets, and now their secrets. Plus, he likes them. Well, Ash, at least. He's like, I could take or leave Ossian. The kid comes back. He's like, this is my favorite one. So it's like in the scabbard. He, um, he's like, can I watch? And Love's like, oh, I'm afraid not. He's like, run to the kitchen for Nanny's pudding. So he holds a blade to Ossian's throat. He's like, very, very sorry, sir. And Ash is like, shut up. And he tells Ash to tell him what they're up to or he'll kill him. And she has 10 seconds. He's like, waits and then nothing. He starts to plunge the blade and then Ash blurts out, Alita thought she was working with the Pult's brother, with Burton. She planned to download the stolen RI files into his haptic implants, storing them in a stub. So in other words, where they'd be untraceable. You know, brilliant, right? Except it was his sister piloting the peripheral and she doesn't have implants. So her headset translated the data into bacterial dna so this must be when she scanned her eye in in the first episode so it began to colonize her her brain so lev asks you know what were they hoping to do with this data and she said sell it to the highest bidder and he lowers a blade then he holds it by ash's face he's like i don't believe you so like, he does like a, a backhand slash and cuts ossian's cheek and then she's like we'd give it to the neoprims and he yells she's like why in the fudging hell would you want to do that and she's like so we can burn this world down and build a new one in its place he calls her a fool a romantic fool if they try to double cross him again he will up and feed them to his his beauty so his like his uh whatever they're not dogs the stuff that they brought back the extinct animals whatever he says that you know he does admire the rest of her plan so he's like let's proceed shall we Charisse continues talking to Lobeer, talks about the jackpot, then says that the RI was subject to breach a few nights ago at the hand of an RI employee, Alita, and a peripheral piloted from within a stub. She says in the presence of another suspect, Wilf, um, present at another crime scene connected to the breach, it points to clept involvement. They have reason to believe they're targeting their neural adjustment mechanism, which, as Lobeer knows, is a highly sensitive area of research. Lobier asks if she's saying that the data which was stolen would document the existence of this mechanism, and she's like, it would. That's what Cherise fears, that there would be backlash and humiliation, but more so that there could be a hack to imply it in a less benign, to implement in a less benign manner. So Lobier says that this is already part of the design. And Shuri says that she's sure Lobier will agree that a hammer is a very powerful tool, but also a deadly weapon in the wrong hands. So she asks Lobier if she's met with Lev Zublov recently, and she imagines that he'd have quite the tale to tell about his adventures in the R.I. stub. Lobier's like, the R.I.s, you claim ownership? And Shuri says that they created it, and Lobier's like, says to use for a laboratory to develop this technology and Sheree says that she's sure she doesn't have to explain how dangerous it'd be if the Kleps gain control of it. Lobier asks, well, what is she asking of her? And Sheree says to destroy the uh, Zubovs, Flynn Fisher, and everyone associated with them, both here and in the stub. Lobier laughs. She's like, you make it sound so simple. And Sheree says, well, there's a procedure. She mentions the Samsonovs, the entire clan, poof, wiped from existence. Lobier says, well, that was an entirely different situation. But before Sharice leaves, she glanced at Beatrice. And, you know, so does knowing about her give her leverage? So is Sharice going to get her way now? Is Lobier compromised? 
So it's like, I don't get why Sharice has like so much power, which is just kind of annoying how she's just whatever. And that's, she's kind of like, it's always like Lex Luthor in the comics. She's like, so just arrogant, whatever. At the clinic, Ella asks if this is about money and Bob says that money's involved, but that's not why he's here. She's like, why then? He says, cause he has a daughter of his own. He'd like to keep her alive if he could. And Ella says, she's like, someone's threatening to harm her if you don't kill my children. And he's like, in a nutshell. So she says that her mother told her only a fool sees the world as either or. He's like, that's simple thought for simple folk. Ella says that he imagines there's only two options. Either his daughter has to die or her children do. She says that there is another option. And he's like, what? And she's like, you could die. Burton stops the trucks and Flynn asks, what's he doing? He's, you know, he's getting a rifle out of the back. And he's like, slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. So they need to get a read on the situation. He said, there's a killer in there who set a trap. They know that. If they rush in, they all die. And she's like, Burton. And he says that this is the one fudging thing he's good at. So right now, he just needs her to trust him to do it right. And then he gives her like an earpiece and like binoculars. So Bob asks him not wanting to die here. That makes him a fool. And Ellis says, not just a fool, cowardly too. And selfish to the point of evil. So they're on the outside. They're looking with like thermal lenses. So they see two bodies together and another on the other side of the room. So they're, the cold one on the ground is Reese. Connor is uh, nearby too. You know he's he's like scoping them out. He says it's a little too eeny meeny miny mo for him because you know they they still don't know exactly who's in you know who's where. Flint says that she thinks the one on the right is is him, but she's not sure. Britton says to Leon to connect with Reese again, but Connor says he'd be connecting with a corpse. And Burton's like, if he can get the body to twitch, the old man will think he's still alive and try to finish him off, and then they can tag him. But Connor's like, bruh, you hear me? Leon would feel it. And Burton's like, yeah, and Reese would do the same thing for us if he was in, in our position. So Reese makes, he goes in there, he's in a dead body basically. He makes the body like jerk up with her convulse. And then Bob gets up and walks over and Flynn's like, execute. So Bob shoots the, the body and then Burton shoots his rifle with a shell that goes through the brick raw wall and right into Bob's chest. Reese, um, powers down and then they run in flint hugs mama burton looks at bob lying on the ground and pool of uh, spreading blood he's like lights out pew, pew, pew. like just, just kills him right there corbell and jackman are, are sitting in his dining room corbell says that he needs that old man alive which uh too late bro he's like there are some things that he wants to do to him jackman's like i understand then tommy comes back and he says that he thinks he might have come up with a pretty good one. He's like, let's say the old man came here, killed Mary and Mr. Pickett there. He called the police. You were the first on a scene, Sheriff, because even after four terms, you still take your job seriously. And we all appreciate that. Sheriff starts asking, like, what are you? And then Tommy pulls out his gun and continues. He's like, the old man was still here, armed with his forty-five. And when you drew your own weapon, well, he went and shot you multiple times, I'm afraid. He tells Tommy, he's like, you need to calm down. And Tommy's like, I'm already too calm. He's like, that's what's scaring me. It's like you said, I ain't got much choice, do I? And then he shoots him like seven times. And then Corbell like stands up and like shakes his head. He's like, well, fudge me. And then Tommy looks at him. Corbell's like, I did not see that coming. Not by a mile. He, he says that calm that he talked about. He thinks Tommy needs to lower his gun until it comes back. But 
you can tell it's it's out of out of ammo because the the guns like not cocked you know like the pointy part sticking out whatever i don't i can't describe guns i'm not a gun expert so he wants uh, to talk through and come to an understanding tommy asks if he really thinks that the old man would have let him live corbell says what he thinks is tommy doesn't have the balls to pull this off on his own or the bullets tommy then stupidly looks at his gun corbell ducks reaches for the sheriff's gun tommy reaches and then pulls out the doodad and corbell's like what the fudge is that supposed to be and Tommy's like, oh, it's a doodad, you arrogant piece of poop. Shroom. He goes flying through. There's like this big window. And then it looks like they're like maybe higher up. Like maybe they're like on a second floor or something like that. Corbell bodies just like lying on like a cement walk. And is he dead? Is he alive? That's the end of the episode. What it turns out in the, the previews, I think he, he's not fully dead. So he, he can say to Tommy killed the sheriff and shot him so we'll have to see uh, but now here's the thing amazon prime if you're listening you better give us a second season because if this doesn't get a second season i'm gonna be so annoyed because i'm like really digging it and plus the fact how it's different from the books <sighs> you've done this to me before where they've, they've canceled it but that's uh the second to last of the first season of The Peripheral. Okay, then Stargirl, season three, episode 12. Frenemies, chapter 12, The Last Will and Testament of Sylvester Pemberton. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, I don't know why I thought that this was the last episode. I thought two weeks ago, because it was on the, the last week or the week before, whatever. And I thought, okay, there's one more episode left. I think I even said that. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, this is supposed to wrap everything up. And it's getting to be, I'm like, this isn't a double episode because my DVR only recorded one hour. And they it even mentioned that the that Kung Fu show, whatever, was was on after. I'm like, how is this going to wrap up? There, I was like, there's literally like less than five minutes. What? And then it, there was one more episode. So that's good. But I was just like, I was so confused. Like, oh my goodness, because things you'll see when we get to the end. All right. Los Angeles, California, decades ago, there's awards and best actress goes to Dolores Winters. So that's who Ultra Humanite took over her body. She gives this acceptance speech. Later, she's watching the awards broadcast while having a drink. She's got a smile on her face. She looks at the award in the mirror and she's like, you did it. This dude comes in. Um, she knows him, you know, she, Mr. Standish or something like that. Then she's like, the party's over. She's like, I think you should leave. So I think it was at her. She must be celebrating in her place after you know winning. And she's like, I have a friend on the way. And he's like, well, I'm madly in love with you and whatever. She's like, you're drunk. And he says that he sees an actor that he can see in her eyes. That, you know, she's always acting even when the cameras aren't on. He's like, show me who you truly are. And she smashes him in the face with the the award. And she jumps on him, beats him over and over with the award. And then someone comments that she dropped her trophy. So it's Dr. Ito. And she says that the guy was just someone who was getting too close, kind of like the JSA. So she needs a new body. And Ito chuckles. He says, uh, given their inevitable confrontation, he's made some modifications to his own. And then he like, you know, pulls up his shirt sleeve, suit sleeve a little bit. And you can see like dragon skin like below his wrist. He's like, I can do the same for you. And she, he, whatever, says no. She has another idea. Holds up a magazine with this albino gorilla that was captured. She's like, 
a body strong enough to take out the entire JSA after some modifications. So at the house in the present, Pat goes to Courtney's room. She says she can't stop thinking about Artemis, how alone she is. Uh, she mentions Sylvester wanting to take the staff and go after Icicle on his own. There's so many things wrong with that idea. Pat says that Sylvester thinks Icicle is his fight. Barb comes in and she's like, I don't care what he thinks. It's all of our fights. And she's uh, she doesn't believe Icicle took out the Crocs just in self-defense. She's like, he needs to be stopped. They go downstairs in the basement. His uniform's like on the bed. The staff is still in the case, but he left a note. He says he had a few things to do and he'll be back soon. At Ripped City... Artemis looks around. She holds up her dad's bat, and then Sylvester's there behind her. He asks her what she's planning, and she says she's going to kill Jordan Makent. And he's like, I know you have every desire to do that, but it wouldn't honor your parents by going to prison. You know, If you want to honor them, go to college. Be the star that they raised you to be. She's like, well, so what, Jordan just gets a free pass? And he's like, hell no. He's like, I'm going to kill him for you. Rick is at his place staring in a mirror and he's like holding the hourglass you know in, around his neck and he's like breathing heavily he finally takes it off he starts getting these like weird dizzy flashes everything kind of like flickers red he's like gasping or whatever and he puts it back on and he's like he screams meanwhile beth's like trying to call him but it goes like straight to voicemail so she's at the garage she tells yolanda that rick's still not answering Sylvester comes in and she's saying that you know she still can't track down Ultra Humanite. Since he burned down the farm, he must have taken shelter someplace else. And he's like, oops. So he mentions that he's taken Icicle down himself and Jordan's uh, you know, stronger now. It's too dangerous. So he, he dropped the bug in their living room. So he knows that the grandparents are going to this vigil with Cameron for his art teacher. He's been missing. And Yolanda's like, Mr. Whatever. So it's like, have they not been in school? <laughs> because it seems like it's it's been a while so uh jordan will be home alone tonight and yolanda asks he's like are you sure you don't want our help and he's like actually i do he's like when the jsa died they left family members behind like sandman had a nephew adam had a son green lanterns you know kids jenny and what's todd but there are other jsa members whose bloodlines died that night heroes like him who had no children to pass their legacy on to so he's like, you know, me, Mr. Terrific, the Spectre, Flash, Dr. Fate, and others who shouldn't be forgotten. So he's asking them that when this is over, to go find others like themselves, someone worthy of taking these mantles on their own. And Beth's like, you're talking like you're, we're never going to see you again. And he's like, oh, don't be silly. He's like, we'll catch up later. So then Cindy is at the old ISA headquarters, you know, under the city with, with Mike and Jakeem. Jakeem's... Uh, asked her like what's happening to her you know because they want want to help their team now she says her dad experimented on her her entire life put metal shivs in her arm pumped her so full of chemicals her hair turned white and she thinks that he did something else that lay dormant until she came back from the shadowlands and he's like does it hurt and she's like sometimes so jakeem mentions uh her taking gambler's laptop so she can find her father's labs so he wants to make a wish to help and, and, you know, Mike's like, oh, no, no, you got to be careful with her. So he wishes for them to be taken to the lab that has what Cindy's looking for. So Jordan is pacing in his room. He waits for Courtney to call or text him. He's like, is she still not getting back to me? Because Jordan comes in and he says that, you know, whatever is going on, he knows that she cares about him. So Cameron tells his dad that he has to prove his intentions are good somehow. And then he mentions Cameron's teacher he says that he may have fallen prey to the ultra-humanite. The police think that he could have had a mental break and wandered off, but 
Jordan shakes his head. He's like, he's like, no. He's like, what? What if I went after the ultra humanite? He's like, what if I brought him in myself? He's like, would that be a good enough intention? Pat goes down in the basement. Sylvester's in his costume, and he's like, Courtney took the staff, and Pat's like, she went looking for you. Where were you? And he just asks, he's like, when's she coming back? And he says that they decided they're not going to let him go alone. And Sylvester says, he's like, look, I've been trying to be diplomatic about this, but it's not your choice to make. And Pat's like, Icicle's more powerful than before. He's like, Beth isn't even sure, you know, what he did to the Crocs. Sylvester's like, no offense to the dead, but I'm not the Crocs. He's like, I can protect myself. Pat's like, you need our help. Then Sylvester gets mad and he like swipe some stuff off the table he's like don't you get it he's like I don't want your help okay he's like do I have to spell it out for you he's like look at you you put a bunch of kids in harm's way just to make yourself feel important and Pat like shakes his head he's like that's just not true and he's like the only reason they respect you is because they weren't there to see what an ineffectual loser stripes he really was he's like you know you're a laughing stock you were the joke of the entire JSA and Pat's like why are you saying this to me he says that you know he's like I tried to let this go he's like this is coming from the hard truth it's like the night the jsa went up against the isa he's like you wouldn't stop calling me on the radio you came back after i ordered you to stay away you distracted me during the most important fight of my life and you got me killed pat and he like like shoves him on a like pushes him on the chest he's like i'm not gonna let that happen again you're no hero not then not now you're just a sidekick and he just like walks past pat so it's like, oh my goodness. So we know he's had like these rage issues and it's like, is he from coming back from the dead? He's so unhinged. Like, what the heck's going on? He goes upstairs and Courtney's standing there with the staff. Then Sylvester's like, you heard us? And she's like, all of it. He's like, well, it is what it is, kid. And she's like, the day I found a staff, he's like, you've been my hero. He's like, I even thought that you were my father. But when Brainwave went after me, it was Pat who saved me. When Cindy hurt me, it was Pat who took me to the hospital. And when my dad came to take the locket and I was absolutely crushed, Pat was there for me too. Like he's been there every single time I've needed him. So you're not my hero, Starman. Pat Dugan is my hero. I was so disappointed when I found out that you weren't my father, but I thank God every day that Pat is. And I, at this point, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so emotional. Not quite like that, but it, it was very touching. And, but Sylvester, sorry, I mean, he's just like, I need my staff. And you know, he doesn't acknowledge anything she said. And she's like, I'm not giving it to you. He holds out his hand and calls it, shoom, it just pulls out of her hand. She tries calling Cosmo back and he's like, no. He's like, you, stay. And he's like, you may have swayed the staff to you before, but deep down, you know it belongs to me. You're not worthy of it. And he's like, I'll be back after I take care of Icicle. And she tells him to stop. And he's like, you know I can't. So it's like he's even a jerk to Courtney. Pat, Barb, Courtney, Yolanda, and Beth are at the house. Uh, Barb asks, how did he take the staff from her? And she said that he called Cosmo to him and, and he took it. She couldn't do anything about it because she's not Starman. And Pat says that he's going to take Stripe, the, the suit, and try to intercept Sylvester. Beth says that they need Rick's help and he needs theirs. Meanwhile, Cindy, Mike, and Jakeem, they have been walking through tunnels for a bit. Thunder says that uh, they're where they can find out what they're looking for. And Shakim's like, a cure? And Thunder says Cindy was looking for one, but he was the one who made the wish to impress her. So, ta-da! Cindy sees this dragon symbol on the wall. So, they must be at the right place, maybe? At the garage, 
Zeke tells Pat to, you know, you can see uh, Stripe has been damaged, like the arm is like taken off or whatever. Uh, Sylvester damaged Stripe, and you know, there's like still it's parts of it are like sparking, whatever. So he's like, he did it, and he just flew off. Pat's like, he lost his mind, and Zeke says, maybe that's what he wants you to think. Maybe he's doing what you did to Little Dugan when Eclipso was, was prancing around Blue Valley. He's like, you told Mike to meet him. Where whatever when Stripe was finishing was finished, knowing full well it wouldn't be. He's like you lied to protect him. Pat says that he'd rather they hate him than have them get hurt. So Sylvester is going to get himself killed, and he says he has an idea about doing something to fix Stripe. The kids are about to you know they're like we got to go find Rick, but then he shows up. He's at the back door. He's like I need your help. Pat shows up at the Ma Kent's. He has his stripesy shirt on, and he has like a flamethrower like on his back, like from uh, the stripe arm. So he's like holding it in his hand, you know, just up the part of it with like the I guess the whatever the fuel part on his back. At the lab, Cindy says she's like someone's been working here, and Mike says he's like I thought your dad was dead, and she's like he's supposed to be. It's silent at the Kent's. Pat continues walking through the house. He hears some creaking upstairs. He peeks into Cameron's room, and it's someone grabs him from behind, and it's Sylvester. He's like, what the hell are you doing here? Pat says that he knows that he's trying to protect him with everything that he said and did. He's like, you're not doing this alone. He's like, this is my fight, Pat. He's like, you keep saying that, but it doesn't have to be. And he's like, he's like, the reason I came back from the dead was to fight another man that came back from the dead, to avenge the JSA, to fix my mistakes. He's like, he's the reason that the JSA died. They should have come back, not him. So if he dies, he dies. This, you know, this is his destiny. But Pat says that this is his destiny too. Sylvester says, you know, everything he said back there, and Pat cuts him off. He's like, that doesn't matter. He's like, let's do this. In the lab, they come across a body under sheet. So Cindy, they're like looking at whatever. Cindy pulls off the sheet. It's her dad. Mike and Jakeem are gagging because it's a smell. She pulls off the mask. His head has been cut. And his brain is missing. Then Ultra Humanite walks through this like hole in the wall. Hello, my daughter. And she's like, Dad. He puts his like, uh, so he uh, he put his brain in Ultra Humanite. And Mike's like, well, then where is Ultra Humanite's brain? And we get a close up at the back of Sylvester's head. He hits Pat in the back of his head with the butt of the staff, and he's like knocked out. He's he's standing over Pat, and Icicle walks up. What now? And Sylvester's like, I'll take care of him. He's like, won't this be fun? So Ultra Humanite is in Starman. What? Is that right? So he's his, his brain's in there. Ultra Humanite, um, Dragon King, says that he missed Cindy, but he calls, you know, he calls, he refers to her as his greatest experiment, you know, up until now. She tells Mike and Jakeem to get ready to run. She like kind of whispers it to him. She starts talking to Daddy about his new look, and as she throws some chemicals that cause like some flash explosion, they start running. Yolanda tells Rick that she thinks that he should take off the hourglass. Barb says that if it hurts, they can help him manage the pain. But and Beth's like, my mom can help too. He's like, but what about the ultra humanite and Jordan? He's like, we need you know they, we need me powered up. And Courtney's like, we need you healthy. And he's like, well, where's Sylvester? That, you know, he might know what to do. And Courtney says that he's out. And Rick says that he knew about the limiter, that he told him how to take it off. And Beth says that she did some reading. 
Rick's dad went through the same thing once and the JSA helped him through it. But Courtney says, but then Sylvester would know about the dangers of the limiter. And Beth's like, yeah, Starman was there. And Courtney's like, if he was there, he'd know what it would do to Rick. So why would he tell him to do that? That's because it was, it's not Starman. Pat wakes up in a grave and he's like tied up. Sylvester's standing over and the staff's just like kind of spinning. And Sylvester's like, stop it now. He's like, power down. So Pat's like there is like struggling. He's like, how? And he's like, how what? How do I control the staff? He's like, I'm a star man. He's like, what? Well, I'm star man now. And as Dolores Winter said in some movie, you know, whatever, or, you know, as she said in this whatever movie, you've been had, kiddo. So he starts like shoveling some dirt on Pat. You're an ultra humanite? He's like, bingo. And he's like, where's Sylvester? He says that Dr. McNider was right about the cosmic energy per preserving his body, but Sylvester's brain was long gone. Sylvester starts, um, or Ultra Humanite, starts going on about the good times they had. Starman and JSA and Starman and Stripe. He hates having to do this. You know, Pat was his brother. And Pat's like, you're not Sylvester. And then he's like, oh, right. He's like, yes, of course. Sometimes I get lost in a role. I just forget. So it's almost like there is some of Sylvester there. Which obviously, because, you know, he's been good. He's like, I, you know, I just forget. Pat's like, hold on. He's like, you don't have to do this, Sylvester. He's like, you're my friend, right? He's like, that's right, Pat. So it's not happening like this, okay? Help me out of here. He's like, okay. He puts the shovel down. He bends over. He's like, come on, you can do it. He's like, come on. And then he's like, oh, that was good, Pat. That was really good. You almost had me. And he laughs. He gets the shovel again. He's like, you're insane. He's like, I know. Shovel. <laughs> Show more dirt on him, like in his face. So he's like, it's a beautiful night. For decades, I've enjoyed that being in that beast being alone in these woods and just that raw strength, you know, helped me survive the JSA attacks, you know, one after another. But being that monster, I had to stay hidden. I missed the adulation that Dolores Winters got. It's like, I want that again. Jordan, Dr. Ito may have plans for, for him, but, you know, it's like, this is what it's all about. After the operation, he, you know, he did some traveling. He did his research. Uh, he, you know, he, he talked to everyone that, that the people that he could. And then he, you know, so we see him like when he went to the diner, talked to his, like his ex-wife or girlfriend or ex-girlfriend or something like that. And then he found his way to Pat. He was, you know, ready to take on a role. They accepted him so easily because everyone worshipped Starman, especially Pat. But he had to cement the, that acceptance. He made himself a victim. He brought, um, Pat brought him into the circle of trust and closer to Courtney, and but more importantly to the staff. Thanks to Courtney. Um, he bonded with the staff, but he also had to make sure Courtney's friends stayed out of the way. If anyone would see through his disguise, it would be Cindy Berman. So he used Yolanda to push her away. Then he urged Beth to cut off her parents to keep her distracted. And then Rick, he's like the hourglass. And then finally, Pat's son, he told Mike to uh, prove that he could do what Pat said he couldn't. So he sent him and his inept friend on their way. He's like, it all worked out, and so will the rest of, of our plan. He's like, you want to hear Jordan's endgame? He's like, Pat? Oh, Pat? Oh, he's buried. He's like, oh, bye, Pat. So Pat's dead, buried alive. And now, <laughs> there's one episode. But here's the thing. So, like, when he's standing over to Gray, I'm like, how, are they, how is he going to get out of this? How are they going to wrap this all up? There can't be an ending. There's still one more episode. So, man... I knew Starman was unhinged, but I thought it was just from coming back from the dead that he'd be a little imbalanced. I didn't think it was because Ultra Humanite was in him. I did not see that coming. 
All right, with Titans, uh, so I'm going to try doing two episodes, season four, episode five, Inside Man. It starts off Gar staring out at the city, then Sebastian's talking about a dream that he's always had. Rachel, she's like, well, I won't judge. And he says it, it always starts the same way. He's on an empty train going through a dark tunnel, but it's just endless, just a void of nothing. So he starts screaming, screams for his mother, but she doesn't come. No one comes, and then he's all alone, and he wants to get off the train, but he can't. And then he knows that he's awake now, but this feels like the same thing. Like he's on that train and and there's no stopping. She says that she knows how it feels, but in a dream, you don't get a choice. And, you know, you do have a choice. He says that he doesn't even know what he is his entire life. He thought he was nothing, but maybe it's worse. Maybe he's just damned. And she says, she's like, well, I'm a child of Trigon too. You know, she's like, I made a choice to become a Titan. Uh, because you do get a choice and you'll make the right one. She's like, I know because you're my big bro after all. They're being watched by um, Bernard and Tim. And Bernard says, you know, they're like on monitor duty. Bernard says, you know, just six hours to keep Sebastian from that witch. And then they're home free. Behind them on another screen, you can see Connor in the hall. He stops, look, looks back at the camera. And then he like, he keeps, starts walking in, lifts up his shirt where he got stabbed and it hasn't healed and he touches it and it, he just like, keeps walking. Uh, that one dude, the confessor who gave her the card, I don't know what is that. That's the only name I guess he goes by. I think it was the confessor. He goes up to mother and says that they found a dissenter. So he's not really sure what, what, what she's doing. She's like over like, I think she's looking over to the pool of blood or something like that. They bring this dude to her and she's like, hello, Raymond, you seem troubled. So he says that, well, the others are worried. You know, the blood moon has risen and we have not seen um, our brother. And she's like, she asks what her flock is saying. He says that their long wait has been in vain. And then Gina, she's like, never speak to mother that way. And mother's like, you are afraid, but have faith. I have waited much longer than you for this moment. Longer than anyone, really. I have sacrificed my very self to be reunited with my son. So yes, he will be brought home. That snake that Connor puked up crawls out of the toilet at Star Lab, so it's still there. Tim is, is spinning in a chair, like, in front of the monitors. He's like, all clear, all clear, all because he's just, like, bored. He tells Bernard, it's so obvious that Dick's putting him on ice. Everyone with no powers, you know, go hide behind a monitor. He's like, no offense. And Bernard's like, well, I, I think you meant a little offense. And he's like, alternate take, Dick knows being a superhero requires deep commitment and sacrifice. And he just needs to know, you know, it's what he wants before he jumps in. So for what it's worth, he's like, I believe in you. Of course you do, Bernard. <laughs> so he's like, you'll know your moment when it comes. Tim's like, in Gotham, it felt like you know I was on the ground making a difference. Now I'm just dodging VR nunchucks. He's, it's, it's like you know they're on the PS5 and I'm stuck on the Wii. Bernard's like, I take offense to that. Because <laughs> you know, he's like, I worked hard on those nunchucks. Tim stops him and asks if he has any um, experiments that involve snakes. He's like, no. He's like, wasn't a snake that killed Lex Luthor? He's like, yeah. So Tim runs off to check it out. Bernard's like, oh, God. And then he, he tries getting him to stop. He's like, what are you going to do? He's, he's like, the snake comes up to them. He's like growling. And it, it kind of like stands up, like arches up or whatever. And it's like his snaps at them. So they run. Bernard, of course, falls. He's like, get up, get up. Go, 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 go. Bernard tells them. He's like, like duck to, you know, to the left. So they dance his room. They lock the door. So... Uh, they tell Dick, Corey, Jinx, and Gar that they lost it on the monitors. Bernard says that he'd be dead if it wasn't for Tim. He's my hero, right? It's like, oh my goodness. Uh, 
Tim says that, you know, he should have done something like hit it. Dick's like, that's a bad idea. It's like, it's magic. This is Jinx's world. And she's like, well, a snake is that crazy lady signature move, right? Corey says it could have been the same snake that killed Lex. Gar's like, how did it get into Star Labs? You know, they have every inch of that place covered. Connor just like stands back and doesn't say a word, which is, I'm getting so annoyed with Connor. And it's okay. He's gone through some, he's going through stuff, but whatever. Uh, Jinx says it doesn't matter. The point is it's here. Uh, she's like, you know, mommy's going to use that snake to get what she really wants. And Dick's like, Sebastian. So how did they stop this thing? She says that she's going to have to consult the only person she knows that could handle a snake of this magnitude. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> and Gar like laughs. Corey even smiles. You know, snakes on a plane, right? Which I never saw snakes on a plane. I'm sorry. Confession. Uh, so Jinx is like, She's like, well, it's, it's fine. It's like, I'll just magic, you know, our little snake. And Tim's like, it's enormous. And he's like, so they're going to split up. And then Connor's supposed to guard the silo to make sure nothing gets to Sebastian. But he's just standing there like like a zombie. So it's like, you know, at this point, you can't tell. Is he, is he still under the influence? It's like, what's going on with Connor? Something's happening. Gars with Jinx says that theoretically he has changed into a snake before. And, you know, she's like, oh, great. So the big plan is he'll turn into a snake, get it to fall in love with him, and then he won't text the snake back. And then it'll be like, fudge you, snake. And then he says that since she knows magic, you know, she's like, a tree of bones tried to talk to me. And she's like, whoa, tried or did? And he's like, did. And she's like, is, is this tree happened to be under a red sky? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, that place has a name, the red. And he's like, okay unimaginative and unoriginal he he was like what else do you know and she's like not much just rumors so if you know the red from the comics so yeah this is something um so they they see this guy lying on the ground they roll him over his face is missing so his skin has been like torn off gar is like on the comms he's like he says that you know they found a dead guy the snake ate its face off (laughs) connor's like staggering in the hall he's like groaning he um his wounds like open up and there's like some blood dripping out and then he hears a snake. Then Connor enters the room with Sebastian Rachel and she's like, how are things on the outside? And he's like, oh, totally fine. He's like, Dick asked me to take over for, or for you. He's like, figured you could use a break. And she's like, oh. And then she asked Sebastian, she's like, do you want chips or something? And Connor, she's like, oh, just, you know, go ahead, take your time. Corey tells Dick that this feels wrong. She says on Tamaran, things would play out differently. You know, they have ta- they have Sebastian right here. And Dick's like, if you mean take out the one guy that we've been protecting, she's like, well, that book was very clear. And Dick asks, you know, should they just do what a picture says? You know, they've had it worse with Rachel. Then Dick sees Rachel in the hall at like a vending machine. And he's like confused. She's like, do you have like $5 or, or something like that? And Corey's like, what the heck are you doing? And she's like, getting chips. It's like, Dick's like, where's Sebastian? She's like, in a silo with Connor, like you wanted. It's like, you sent him there to give me a break? Connor and Sebastian are walking in the hall, and Sebastian's like, I thought that the silo was safe. Connor's like, well, Dick found an even safer place. So I was like, I'm taking you there now. Where is it? Connor's like, nearby. He's like, outside. We just have to leave Star Labs. And Sebastian's like, I I feel better at, at the silo. He's like, you know, we could go back. And Connor's like, we can't. Everyone's waiting for him. He's like, who? The Titans? Connor's eyes and voice changes. My son. So Mother Mayhem's like speaking through him. You get more beautiful every time I see you. So she says that she'd never take him by force. 
You already know the words. I, I'm, I'm here to warn you. Do not trust the Titans. They mean to harm you. I would hate to see you die. Dick and Corey walk in. or They ask Connor, like, what's going on? Then Connor's eyes change back. And Connor's like, Dick, just walk away. He's like, when I told you to walk away, I meant it. And then heat vision. Corey runs like out of there, like at this like t part in the hallway. So she like ducks around the corner. Uh, Dick does like a flip out. And then Corey steps back in view with her blue power like glowing. She tells him to stop. He gets zapped from behind by Jinx. And she's like, this poop isn't magic, okay? Well, technically it is. She's like, but they've only got three minutes before he's up and at it again. Corey and Rachel are driving Sebastian out of there. He says that he wasn't safe at Star Labs, and that woman said that he wasn't safe with them. Rachel says that he can trust Corey with his life. You know, she did. And then uh, an Elko diner pops up on Rachel's phone, so she's like, oh, you know, there's I guess there's one out here. Gar is freaking out to Dick, so she summoned a beast inside to secure Star Labs. Who knows what she did to Connor or how much time they have left until the end of the world. Dick's like, five hours and 15 minutes, and the world is not ending. So Connor's strapped to a table with like kryptonite cuffs, and Connor sweetly apologizes. He says, he's like, oh, so how about we remove the cuffs? And then there's like this gurgling, and Connor's like, oh, don't worry about that. Dick lifts his shirt, and Connor's stomach is like all bloated and like undulating and stuff. At the diner, Rachel's surprised, surprised that they have Elko Diners in Metropolis. Sebastian doesn't see how this place will protect them. Corey goes, you know, inside, Corey goes to Jukebox, enters her selection. The place empties except for them and Zadira theirs, her, her training person, whatever. They do this salute handshake thing, and Corey asks, you know, why did she bring them here? And Zadira says that they don't have much time. So then Mother and Gina are trying to send Sebastian while holding this like crystal or something like that. And Mother's like, I can't feel him anymore. It's just nothing, empty. And this dude comes up and says that they've located Sebastian. He's like, where? He's like, a place none of us can reach. So Zadira tells Corey that she's not safe there, not until she gains enough power for the coming war with, and Corey finishes her sentence. Trigon. She's like, I know. Zadira says it won't be long until that woman will come seeking what is hers. And Rachel says to Sebastian, she's like, don't listen. It's like, you don't belong to her. And Zira's like, that is a problem. It's like, he does. And the force working with Trigon, Rachel says that they can't make Sebastian do it without his say. Zadira says that he won't be able to resist his destiny. No one can. Corey says that they just have to keep him safe until the blood moon passes. Zadira kind of pokes fun at her, at their optimism. And Rachel says that it's from a book that he, he can only rise to power when the blood moon is still in the sky. Zadira asks Corey what makes her think that she can save him from his mother when she barely understands her own capabilities, you know, let alone her responsibilities to the people of Tamaran. Corey's like, I owe them nothing. She's like, I fulfilled my mission. You know, Rachel defeated Trigon. The prophecy was denied. It's like, as will this one. Zadira says that she did nothing to change the girl. The change was already in her, and Corey was merely a spectator to destiny running its course. Rachel says, that's not true. She's like, Corey, help me. And to Corey, she's like, we don't have to listen to her. We can just leave. Mother Mayhem's like pleading to Trigon, speak to me, speak to me. She's like begging. And then the little pool thing, oh, whatever, she's looking at, starts like bubbling. She's like, so I guess she can hear him or something like that. And she's like, that's not true. I love none as much as I love you. 
And then she's like, what should I do? There's like more bubbling. I understand. You know, someone always pays. It's just like, okay, are you crazy? Or is she really hearing him? The Star Labs computer says the probability of organ failure in Connor is 80%. Connor starts begging not to let him die like this. You know, he says that he's so scared. And Gar's like, it's going to be okay, buddy. Dick looks more skeptical. But he does tell Connor that they're not going anywhere. They will save him. Then Connor's like, wait, where have I heard that before? And he chuckles. He's like, oh, right. Why don't we just ask Hank? That's what you said to him, right? Dick tells Gar to, to put him under. You know, like to gas him, whatever, knock him out. Jinx says that the snake is a curse. They need a magical expulsion, which she's never done before. So for it to work, she needs her blue ash. And it's from the ground up teeth of a Baba Yaga, a John Constantine special. But they'd have to get in close, and it's in the fortress. Dick says, uh, Trojan horse. So they need something small enough to get inside Connor's body undetected. Gar's like, like a virus. And Dick says, but a virus smart enough to only target the snake. And then Gar gets an idea. Mother comes out. Gina says, Trigon has spoken to you. And Mother says to Gina that she has to understand she doesn't want to do this. Gina says that, you know, she has to be strong for them. Mother forgave her what for what she did. But Mother says that, you know, she's been by her side since, loyal. But now it's time to bring Sebastian to his rightful place. Gina holds up the knife. Mother takes it, slashes Gina's throat, and lets the blood pour onto, like, this tapestry thing. And she tells her that she will honor her sacrifice. So Gina's dead. Gar explains his big idea. He's like, I turn into a virus. Any questions? <laughs> That's it. Dick says that he has plenty, that he thought he could only turn into animals. And Gar's like, well, technically, Niles Calder said that I could unzip and rearrange my DNA into anything as long as it has DNA. And Bernard's like, technically, it should work. The idea is that Gar can turn into a virus and become a carrier agent for Jinx's blue ash. But if Connor dies, so does Gar. A virus can't live outside a dead host. And Gar says that they have exactly, they haven't exactly figured out an exit strategy. So it could he could kind of get stuck in there. And so but then the whole thing is like, is Bernard the only smart doctor, technician, worker, you know, in all of Star Labs? There's like no one else. It's just him. He's the only one there. Unless they're all busy doing other stuff. And it was a, plus the fact, why are they hanging out and doing all this stuff for Star Labs? Like I don't know. Is like are they funding them? Are they paying for it? Dick talks to Gar alone. He he wants him to think clearly away from everyone. He says that he understands the risk. He's got this. If Dick were him, he's like, would you even hesitate? He's like, you taught me too well. He's like, you know, we always figure it out. So now <laughs> Gar's like in a petri dish, I guess. <laughs> they put him through like Connor's nose. Jinx is nervous, and you know says that he's like, this won't work. Not that I care. <laughs> she's she's acting like you know she doesn't care, but she is starting to care. Dick says, he's like, oh, it will. It just needs to replicate. Bernard says, that, uh, he's like, he's doing it. Jinx's eyes are closed. And Tim asks, she's like, are you casting a spell? And she's like, no, I'm praying. So he's there. Connor starts convulsing. It's his heart. Uh, he needs adrenaline. So Dick stabs him with a needle. Flatline. And then beep, beep. Bernard's like, he did it. So like, now they just need to figure out how to get Gar Connor starts convulsing again. There's blood in his mouth. Snake crawls out of his mouth, heads towards Bernard, who's just kind of standing there. Dick grabs his his staff and smashes it on the head. And then Dick's like, looks like all that training paid off. And I'm like, really? <laughs> all that training to just whack it on the head? <laughs> it's like, okay. Good thing he did that training. Otherwise, he couldn't hit it on the head. 
And just whatever. At the diner, Rachel pours syrup into a mug and Sebastian's like, wow. And then there's like more banter, you know, because she can taste stuff or whatever. She's enjoying it. Rachel tricks uh, Sebastian to look away so she can steal food off his plate. He's like, hey. Zadira says to Corey at the counter, she's like, look at them. Thick as Steve's. You know, Corey's like, well, he had no family. You know, must have been a very lonely life. Rachel knows what he's going through. And Zadira tells Corey to remember her training, you know, and she makes two blades appear on a counter. Order and chaos. When chaos rises, and Corey's like, order must rise to meet, meet it. Zadira says that they are not just words. She picks up a blade and flings it. I don't know if she... At first, I thought she was throwing it at Sebastian, but I think she was actually throwing it at Rachel. Corey stands up and blasts it. And she's like, what are you doing? She says that she'll use her powers to save the girl, but not to stop the, stop the destruction that he will bring. So he will bring the end of day. She's like, I have seen it, and you must too. And then she hits the order up bell, and then Corey's like out in the woods. She hears a, a girl telling her daddy to pick her, pick her up, and then she sees Dick and this little girl, and he reaches um, to Corey. She's like, come on, they're waiting for us. He's like, birthday for our daughter. So they're there. So basically Dick and, and Rachel, or Dick and Corey have a kid. Rachel's there. Her crystal's back. All the Titans are there. And then... Um, Corey's head like hurts and she screams and everyone's gone. She's back at the diner. Rachel goes to Corey and Zadira's like, say it, admit what he is. And Corey says that they have to get out of there now. And Zadira's like, she has seen what your fate is, what the monster will do if he is not stopped. Your destiny was sealed in the stars long ago. You were never meant to save Sebastian. You were born to kill him. Corey's like, he hasn't done anything wrong. And Zadira's like, yet. The blood moon is upon us. If you don't kill him now, that is a fate that awaits you. Do you want to lose all your friends? Do you want an entire world swallowed whole because you insist on defending a stranger? And then there's just like silence. And Corey's like hand glows and her eyes turn green. And Corey says that her entire past has been a gigantic lie. So why should she trust anything that she's saying now? And she powers down and Sebastian, she's like, I'm not going to hurt you. And he like, he's like, thank you. Corey tells Zadira that she can go. And then she's like, this is, decision is yours. Beware the consequences. Vroom. And then she's gone. Mother Mayhem appears and Corey starts like choo, 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 shooting. Mayhem blocks with her staff. She gets ready to smash Corey, but then Sebastian gets in front. Mother, it's me you want. I don't want people dying for me. So then he turns to Rachel. He thanks her for being kind to him. And then he's like, Azareth. And they're like, no, Metreon, Zinzdos. Mother bangs her staff on the ground. The white light. Corey and Rachel are sitting in the booth with all the other people that were there before. Tim talks to Bernard, says that he was right. He'd know his moment when it came. <laughs> so his moment was a killer steak. A big giant steak. Um, Bernard's like, like, yeah, and hey, he's like, you were incredible. He's like, that snake didn't stand a chance. And Tim says, like, you know, no, no. It's like, that wasn't my moment. You know, this is. Smooch. Later in the lab, Dick asks for updates on Connor. Bernard says his vitals, vitals are steady. No damage to his internal organs. Next to Connor is this big vat with a liquid. Then Gar um, sits up with a shocked look. He's like, well, that was a wild ride. So they, they got him out. Sebastian is at the temple place. The crowd is like chanting, brother blood, brother blood, brother blood. Not quite like that, but you get it. Mother's like, welcome home. And Sebastian looks at everyone and kind of marvels at them cheering for him because you know he's used to like no one liking him at all so is he gonna get like suckered into this 
So that's the end of episode five. Episode season four, episode six, Brother Blood. Connor stares in the in mirror. It's like he's still in pain. And then he like touches the mirror and it cracks it. He takes this big piece and he uses like heat vision to like shave his head. I'm like, is he gonna carve like an S symbol in his head? Is he shaving his head? What's going on here? So, you know, it's it's cool that they're doing the whole well, the thing is, it's just like a regular mirror. Yeah, Superman did. I think it was in a Justice League cartoon, where, or maybe it was a Superman cartoon, where he uses a mirror to shave. But in other moments in comics, has been like a piece from his rocket or something like that. It just seems like it should be something more indestructible, not just a reflective surface. But it's it's it was cool that they they did that. Corey's driving Rachel. What are we gonna do? And Corey's like, drive back to Star Labs and tell them what happened. Rachel says that she saw what Corey saw her vision and. She also says that in Gotham at the Lazarus Pit, when she was sucking up all the nightmares, she saw what Dick saw, that he he had a vision too, and it was pretty much like Corey's. And she's like the little girl, and Rachel's like with the red balloon. And so apparently he hasn't talked to Corey about this. But now she knows. (laughs) Sebastian's like breathing heavily, and he's like, what's happening to me? Mother says that he's transitioning. He started the process when he said the words. Now he must drink from the well of blood and submerge his body to gain peace. His misery will only grow until he does. And he's like, I can't. I won't. He's like, I only came with you to stop you from killing my friends. This other dude's, I think it was a messenger. He's like, we're running out of time. And she's like, he must come to the well of blood willingly. And she's like, I have a plan. So Dick and Gar join Tim and Jinx in the, the whatever command room, the lab, whatever. They ask, how's Connor? And Tim's like, uh, he's not sure. He keeps calling him Home Slice. Jinx says that he said she's hotter than last July. So she'd say he's fine. <laughs> and that Hotter than last July. That, that, that cracked me up. Um, Dick asks if she's sure he's clean from the curse. And she's like, he is. Corey and Rachel arrive. Corey says that Sebastian sacrificed himself to save them. So she has to save him now. They have no idea where the temple is or how to get Sebastian out. So they need to figure out how to save him. Dick's like, well, anything less is is failure. So then Connor walks in and Gar's like, "Uh, something happened to your your head? So his head's, he shaved it completely. Corey like coughs and asks if if he's wearing cologne. (laughs) And he's like, it's Drakkar Nor. You're welcome. Then he says, if they're all done taking in a view, they have a demon to stop. So it's like, what is going on? Dick says the blood moon sets in two hours and six minutes. Connor has a, a three-step process. He's like, find them, kill them, and go have a cold one. Rachel's like, we are not doing that. And he says that he's done playing demon rescue and rehab he's like that bitch killed my dad and put a snake up my guts it's time for her and the kid to go dick's like he's like she's on high alert it's too dangerous and he's like there's an old saying richard he who doesn't learn from history is a fudging moron so it's like if they killed him when they had the chance they'd be in the rv heading to frisco right now and gar's like don't call it frisco and that is the thing you don't call it frisco sf but you don't call it Frisco. And SF is is iffy. Dick's like, we don't kill people, Connor. And Rachel's like, we're not murderers. And he scoffs. He's like, got it. Except for the people you've murdered. Like the ones you know we burned alive in the, the asylum, which started all this. 
he's he's says uh you know bruce even figured out eventually he's like you know how many people a joker killed since batman bashed his head in and he snaps um and points to to tim he's like zero so gar is by himself and he he goes off on his own his eyes like change red and then they change back and he's like breathing heavy so connor um says that he he looks like he's not all the way back yet when he turns to look no one's there and then connor comes down the stairs and he says the same thing again he's like oh you look like you're not back so gar's like freaking out because he was like sitting by these stairs and there's no one around he thought he saw connor come down but he didn't so is he what is like like precognition or just he's going crazy sebastian says that he's like i can't do this he's like i won't she says that deep down inside he knows what uh, the life he's led what he's meant to have led too many memories are hidden because they're too painful to remember so then we see sebastian as a kid in like a foster home mother says that uh his mother says that he was happy for a time but then his guardian made a mistake so she gave him a game boy advance and then uh later this girl named lila was brought in and then the the guardian tells sebastian that she'll need his room his bedroom because it's warmer in there and she's not well and then she asked lila or she asked him to let lila have a have a try at the video game and she's like oh you're such a good boy so mother asks if he knows what really happened that day he was punished because he was stronger than her you know, he's like she was sick you know i wasn't she asks if, if that was was that your fault and you know he's uh, he's like you've done nothing wrong dick is looking for connor he's in this different command room with bernard looking you know they're looking at like satellite images or whatever he's been calling him mr kent then he's like you can suck with that he's like call me connor or mr luther and he like looks at him he's like all right connor dick asks bernard he's like what the heck is going on he's like ask mr luther connor's like i'm taking away the moon and he's like i access luther corp mainframe he's like we're redirecting 58 of their satellites to reflect sunlight back onto the moon it'll basically erase the illusion of that the moon is turning red he's like no blood moon no ritual they bark some commands at people and dick asks he's like can i talk to you he's like i'm kind of busy richard and he's like please don't call me richard he's like you actually prefer dick he's like the last person to call me that was lex luther then he sent six ninjas to kill me and tim so yeah i'd actually prefer dick connor's like he wasn't actually trying to kill you he's just sending a message and he's like how do you know he's like if he was trying to kill you he would have rigged a room with explosive that's what i would have done if i wanted to kill you and dick's like you know you've been through a lot why don't you take some time he's like there's no time gotta reposition these satellites now so then dick asked bernard he's like thoughts He's like, he says it's like the Lex side of him is taken over, which means this satellite idea is going to work. Jinx talks with Dick and Tim, Rachel, Corey, and Gar. Gar um, had mentioned teleportation before as like kind of a joke as how they could get Sebastian out of the temple. But she's like, um, it has been invented by magicians like 10,000 years ago. It's just not perfected. He's like, she's like, the first part was easy. There's a spell for it to disorganize, basically, you know, taking yourself apart the hard part was putting them back together again there was also that they didn't take into account the earth's rotation and not knowing where the organized person would appear so sometimes you know people just like fell off a mountain or whatever so then they're like well what if we use a computer to track it because they so you're basically teleporting through like time and space so you're not just yeah it's sort of time and space 
some others still talking on and on Sebastian. And we get another flashback. He's in his computer design class, like maybe in high school or something like that. Uh, the, the teacher's like talking about some stuff. And then he figures out the shortcut that he mentions or whatever. And then after class, the teacher, you know, because he, he's like, oh, that's, you know, you get a good gold star or whatever. And then after class, he calls him over. Basically, he's mad. And he's like, you know, it, it's not all about shortcuts. It's about knowing the fundamentals. So give him this note. He's like, take this to your guidance counselor to see if there's a spot for you in a beginner's class. He's like, but I meant no disrespect, you know. So basically, he, he ticked off this teacher, which is very petty. Mother says that he was punished for being smarter than him. And then this dude tells Mother about the, that the moon is changing from the satellites. So Dick's work, um, working with the satellite about reorganizing the DNA. She says that it's, it's basically what Gar does with his, his body. Jinx talks to Rachel about founding, finding her powers, about you know, being drawn to them or calling them or whatever. She's like, magic is about intention. And she's like, do you even want your powers back or do you just want to be normal? And she's like, no, yeah, yeah, I want to, you know, she says being, you know, without him has been nice, but she gets it. So Jinx cuts off a piece of her hair and she's like, you need to eat this. And she's like, what? She's like, that's the first part. And at first I'm like, is she joking again? But I guess she wasn't. Bernard calls Dick. He says, you need to get over here. So Connor's like barking orders at everyone about satellite. Position this one, this, this degrees, blah, blah, like that. And then basically it worked. Connor pulled it off and Dick isn't really thrilled. The dude tells mother that they have just over an hour if the blood moon doesn't return, and she's like, it will. Then she says, hack into the LexCorp servers, and she thinks she knows who's behind this. Gar gets another vision of like some cave crumbling or something like that. Then Corey's like, are you okay? And he admits that he doesn't feel so good, but he's just going to you know, get some fresh air. She's like, do you want some company? And he gives her a hug, but he's like, it's okay. He's like, you know, it's been happening to him all day. So Gar goes out and gets some coffee, and he's still kind of feeling off, kind of staggering a little bit. This dude's like, are you feeling okay? And Gar's like, is like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, I'm just not in the mood to talk to people. And then the, the dude's like, yet so many people wish to speak with you. He's like, listen. And then you can hear like lions roaring distantly or whatever. And Gar's like, do I know you? And he, then he's like, the animals, they also see, you will see, like, Buddy Baker and Mary McCabe. So Buddy Baker is Animal Man, Mary McCabe is Vixen. So it's a nice mention. He's like, but you must look. Gar says that it was, he's like, it was great talking to you. He's like, but I gotta go. The dude grabs him and Gar kind of like snarls. And the dude's like, when the tower splits in half, go to the red. Everything and everyone will depend on you. And then the guy like walks off. And then Gar goes after him. He's like, hey. But then when he like turns around, it's like some other dude. He's like, oh, sorry. Dick tells Connor, he's like, good work. He's like, that was impressive. And he's like, I know. Dick's like, it brought them, bought them some time. And Connor's like, pretty sure I just saved your ass, but sure. Dick scoffs. And he's like, you move some satellites, you didn't stop the earth from turning. He's like, when they drift out of position, they'll have a five-minute window to do the ritual before the moon sets. But you knew that, right? And Connor kind of pauses. I don't think he knew that. Then he's like, if they figure it out, which they probably won't. So he's like, right now they're panicking and panic clouds rational thoughts. Dick says that, you know, he has to be honest. He's starting to get a little concerned about him. He's like, why? Because I'm winning so hard. <laughs> Dick's like, leather jacket, the bald head. I get it. You're changing. You're growing. That's good. Just trust me. You don't want it to happen too fast. 
And he's like, hmm, too fast. You know what? I say it's happening just in fudging time. Rachel's, and they're all in the room. He's like, Rachel's useless. Gar's losing his mind. Corey's blue thing, inconsistent at, at best. And Tim, well, he can't do anything at all. <laughs> so it's just like, ouch, dude. He's like, so if I were you, I'd stop you know, worrying about my best player and just take the win. Dick calmly says, he's like, you're not the only one to ever have to go through this. He's like, we've all been there. We've all had to fight a battle with our dark side. This isn't my dark side. This is a side that's looking out for me. Maybe that's why you don't like it. And Dick's like, if we're done here, we'll be in the lab setting up a way to, to bring Sebastian back. We could use your help. The others start to leave, and then Connor goes up to the technician. He's like, you, have the LexCorp servers had any hack attempts in the last 10 minutes? And she looks like, four minutes ago, point of origin. And then she's like, what? Where, where did it come from? So she tells him, but is he going to tell the others? Sebastian's still shivering. Mother cuts um, her wrists and says, this will ease the pain for now. So he drinks some of her blood, and she says that he has to be ready, and you know he still has a final lesson to learn. So another flashback. He's out to dinner with some lady. She gives him a gift, and she's like, I knew you'd forget. She's like, six months ago, I came into your store. He opens it, and it's like a, it's a Game Boy Advance. Because he had mentioned it, his mother gave him one. It was like the start of everything, you know, his love for like computer games and all that. He says that we need to talk, and she, you know, she probably knows what he needs to say. And she says that she's like, I don't. He's like, it's over. And she's like, you're joking, right? He says all of this, like none of it makes any sense. She's like, are you breaking up with me? And he's like, yes. And then she starts to yell. He's like, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, sorry, sorry. He says that. He, he's not a destination he's just a stepping stone along the way so then she gets up she's like nervous or whatever and she's like we still have more to talk about so i'll call you and he's like don't and she's like leaves mother asks, why did you do it and he's like because he knew that she would do it eventually she says that his followers will never leave him and she tells them to show their devotion so three come up and kneel they pledge their eternal devotion and she says that they see what he is. Does he? And he's like, yes. So Corey's in the lab, hooked up to some machines. Technician asks, like, have you done anything to yourself to like increase your strength? She's like, when I saw you last week, you only had access to 8.1% of your total estimated kinetic output. Now you have access to over 80%. So she's like, if you go all out, it'll consume you. It'll kill you. Dick comes in, goes over to plan one more time then he thinks jinx and she's like for what he's like for everything and she's he's like you've earned the five million dollars and she's like if you think it's all about the money and he's like yeah but she says you know the past few days have been fun mother stands at the temple and then boom boom shoom connor zips in grabs her by the throat and she's like do it then he's like with pleasure he starts blasting her with heat vision in the face like it's just, uh, going through and it like burns through her head like out the back and he's like yelling and then mother's really standing behind him so how did that feel he tries grabbing her but then she's gone and he says that you know she killed his father and just like ha he was so easy to kill she says that she sent the, the same serpent for him to do her bidding but he was so much str stronger than than him whatever but you, you're not stronger than me. And he, he like charges at her. So Jinx and Rachel get ready. 
focus on the light. Jinx smudges like red stuff on, on Rachel's forehead. Then she starts to see some stuff and then she gasps. They've got Connor. So Tim is able to track the location. And he, he says the, the hell with the visions and destiny. She mentions the little girl with the red balloon. Then she asks, you know, why didn't he tell her? And he's like, I don't know. She says that it's okay. Like he's, you know, he said to hell with the visions and he walks away or something like that. So Dick shows um, everyone the map to the temple based off of Rachel's memories. They're all in costume. Jinx is supposed to get close to mother. She says that she can take her out like easy. But the time for the transformation is finally here. Mother tells Sebastian to drink the blood and then bathe in the pool. Only then will his transformation be complete. He says the words again, but then a giant green gorilla busts in. Guard growls and, you know, um, Corey blasts Mother. Nightwing finds some guards. Guard grabs this purple crystal, like with Rachel's power, smashes it. It goes into her. So now uh, she's in a completely like white outfit, but she still has her white hair. And then she's like, I have no idea, you know, what, what happened. And then Jinx like freezes mother, but then she spits out blood and mother stabbed her with her scepter. And she's like, fudge, not again. And she, so Jinx is dead. She falls, which is like, no, you can't kill Jinx. Corey says that she's like, she's got this. And she blasts mother. And then Rachel joins in the blasting. Sebastian watches mother's straining. She yells for her son to help her. Rachel, like, she's like, come on. And he's like, sorry, you know, whatever. That he, he's staying because, you know, he's not going to leave with him. Tim says that he doesn't have to do this. He's like, I do. He's like, I'm so tired of being nothing. He drinks the blood. He yells. This huge, like, sound wave would like, blast everyone. The cave starts crumpling. Gar says, like, take me to the red. He disappears, and so do the others. And then Sebastian smiles. Mother gets to her feet, and Sebastian steps into the pool, submerges himself. My son, you're finally home. And that's the end. So I'm not sure if there's an episode this week. Uh, like I said, IMDb doesn't mention it. There's supposed to be 12 episodes, but yeah, maybe there's a break. Because it would just seem weird if they start up Doom Patrol when there's still episodes. Because I, you would, it feels like they try to spread things out. Just like, you know, we don't normally get like two Marvel shows at the same time because they want people to subscribe longer. I don't know. That's that's how I think of it. So that was uh, the last two episodes of Titans. All right, with Wednesday, so I'm really enjoying the show. It, it there's just I don't know. There's there's like a, a charm to it, and I I just feel like all the actors are, are good. Is this a kids show or teeny bopper show? I, I don't know. I I don't care because I'm just into the 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 story and the whole mystery as we're we're getting you know more and more information about this. So with uh, season one episode five, you reap what you woe because since all the titles have woe in there, Wednesdays looks over her her father's files and asks you know she's like narrating you know how well do we know our parents so when he was a student he was accused of a murder it took place up on the, on the it was not the roof it was like up on the balcony and like in the third floor then she wonders you know what really happened that stormy night 32 years ago so there's a flashback to 1990 it's a goth and glamour rave rave n it's a dance weems walks out of the rain a, a body falls she screams looks up gomez is standing there with like a, a blade so Weems talks to the sheriff, says that she doesn't want to tell tales, but it's all Morticia Frump's fault. But it's like, I thought they were kind of friends or roommates, but you know, obviously there's something going on there. 
And it's because they were fighting, apparently, like Gomez and this, this guy, they were fighting over her. So Gomez is taken by the police. Morticia says that she doesn't know what to say, you know, to see him in handcuffs accused of murder. She's like, I've never loved you more. So it's, but it's weird because, you know, the whole thing is like, oh, is him being accused of being a murderer, is that like attractive? But then it's like, you're taking someone's life. How is that like a good thing? You're not a good person then. So I don't know. But then in the present, it's parents weekend. The, the Adams have their limo pulls up. Morticia hopes that Wednesday is happy to see them. You know, she left a dozen messages on her crystal ball with no reply. Uh, Wednesday watches them walk up. You know, she's like, has like a spyglass, whatever you want to call it. Weems addresses the parents how Nevermore was created as a safe haven for our children. She mentions the unfortunate accident with Eugene, but he is on the mend and expected to make a full recovery. Wednesday is standing with Enid and she's like, on the mend? She's like, trying a coma. Enid asks if she's gone to see him since she's his friend. And Wednesday says that she's the reason he's in the hospital. So both are dreading parents weekend. But they're like, let's just get this over with. So Gomez hugs her. And Morticia asks, you know, how is my little rain cloud? Wednesday says that she thought Thing was filling her in on every her every move. So they don't know what, what to say, but then she replies that she uncovered their feeble subterfuge almost immediately. Gomez asks, how, how is he doing? Does he still have all his fingers? Morticia you know, says to tell them everything. And she's like, since you've abandoned me here, I've been hunted, haunted, and a target of an attempted murder. And Gomez is like, ah, nevermore. I love you so. So Enid's parents greet her. She starts counting one, one thousand. And then, you know, two of the, her mother's like, asks if she, ha, have you been like waxing? You know, I guess waxing her lip or something like that. So Enid's like, three seconds, that's a personal best. So her mother's like very harsh and not very nice. Xavier and Bianca are watching from like a higher, you know, level. You know, he says he's not sure how much more of this family stuff he can take. And she says that she thinks he skipped the part where he apologized for acting like a jerk last weekend. He apologizes, says that he shouldn't have asked her to siren song him like that. She asks if his dad is a no-show again this year. And he's like, yeah, I got his text this morning. And he asks her. Bianca, Bianca's like, Gabriel hasn't shown her face since I started here. But it turns out her mother did make it. because She's there. And she's like, it almost looks like she's shocked or she's scared. So Xavier like leaves them alone to catch up. Morticia in Weems' office. Um... She, she's like, oh, the old yearbook. She's like, I haven't looked at this in over 20 years. She's like, such good times, right? And Weems like, better for some than others. She says that Weems always had a presence in the room like a sequoia, which that doesn't sound very like nice to say. Weems asks, if does that make you the lumberjack? And Morticia talks about a, a duet they did. And, you know, she's like, you were, you know, you did the part of Judy Garland, whatever. Then she noticed, she's like, oh, like, my picture is gone. And Weems like, really? It's like, that's odd. It's because she ripped it out and threw it in the fire. Weems wants to get down to business. Wednesday's assimilation has been rocky at best. She says, uh, because she refuses to embrace the culture of dishonesty and denial permeating the school, starting with the monster that killed Rowan and put Eugene in ICU. Although, <laughs> Wednesday's like, although I have heard he's on the mend. Gomez says that they've always encouraged her to speak her mind. Weems says that her therapists feel Wednesday hasn't been very open to the process. Their time together hasn't yielded the results that they'd hope. 
Wednesday says that she's not a lab rat. And Weems says that she and the doctor both agree it would be most beneficial for all to attend a family session this weekend. And Wednesday's like, no. Weems says that she figured that'd be her reaction, but her parents can see the wisdom in it. Patricia says not to just take Wednesday's side, but they are just there for the weekend. Gomez is like, well, why not? He's like, you know, I've always been a fan of head shrinking. And Morticia's like, that's not that kind of head shrinking. And then she's like, well, anything for our little girl. Sheriff is on the phone at the diner, sees that the Adams drive by and get out of the car. And he like curses. Tyler's like, what's up? He's like, it's hard to stomach seeing a murderer walk around scot-free. So Tyler's like, well, at least they care enough about Wednesday to go to therapy with her. And the sheriff's like, come on, we've been through this. And he's like, I'm not comfortable dredging up the family past some complete stranger. And Tyler's asks him, he's like, well, you think it's it's easy to sit there and talk about my crap? The sheriff's phone rings and he's like, I got a lot on my plate right now. And he like gets up. Tyler's like, what's wrong? He's like, Reggie, the local coroner, he just blew his brains out. At family therapy, she's like, who wants to start? And it's just like silent. And then Doc's like, well, maybe they can talk about what it's like not having Wednesday at home. Pugs is like, so, you know, he's like, for me, it's been hard not having her around. I never thought I'd miss being waterboarded so much. Morticia says that it's been torture for them too. Gomez says that, you know, fortunately, his brother Fester, uh, his rack fits two people. Gomez starts uh, kissing Morticia's hand. Doc gets a little uncomfortable. And Wednesday sternly is like, enough. She thinks it's time for her parents to face the music, and she gets up with the police file. Seems that they've been lying to her, keeping secrets. And she holds up the file and asks, it's like, who was Garrett Gates, and why are you accused of murdering him? Morticia's like, those charges were dropped. He's an innocent man. Wednesday says that the local sheriff doesn't seem too convinced. Morticia stands, and she's like, stop. This isn't a time nor the place. The doc's like, actually, this is, this is ex- exactly the place. So Morticia cuts off the doc, and she's like, I refuse to debate a decades-old witch hunt with Wednesday right now. The session, the like, this session is over. And then Wednesday says, well, have it your way. It's like, if you won't tell me the truth, I'll just have to excavate it myself. So outside, Morticia is like, how could you ambush your father like that? And Wednesday says that they sent her to the school. Did they really think that she wouldn't find out their secret? Morticia's like, you don't know the full story. He's like, your father did nothing wrong. And Wednesday says, I'll be the judge of that. Bianca's with her mom at the diner, and she's like, how did you find me? And mom's like, the morning song community misses you. I miss you. And she's like, Bianca's like, and by community, you mean cult? Mom says that they are a personal development group that helps people take control of their lives. And Bianca says that after they take control of their bank accounts... She says that she didn't come here to fight, and she calls her Brandy Jane, and she's like, my name is Bianca. So, so then it it turns out she actually married just one guy that Bianca doesn't like. It was like her boyfriend at the time. And mom's like, he wants us to be a family. And Bianca says that he already has one siren to control, so she's like, goodbye. And mom forces her to sit down. She says that her siren song is drying up, and recruitment numbers are way down, and the wrong people are starting to ask questions. She's like, this wasn't a request. Bianca's like, and if I refuse? Mom says, then everyone will know how you sirened your way into Nevermore. So Bianca says that she, you know, she finally made something of herself and now she wants to destroy it. She says that she hasn't made squat and sarcastically says her name, Bianca. Then, you know, she's just scamming people 
or scamming a higher class of people, but they are not her friends. So she has until the end of the weekend to say her goodbyes. So Wednesday is at the hospital. She puts a jar of honey next to Eugene's bed, says that you know she's harvesting one of this one hive or whatever, because uh, it's his favorite or something like that. She's like, the bees miss you. We all do. So Thing is there keeping an eye on him. You know, there's no updates. She says that she doesn't deserve this, or he doesn't deserve this, that it should be her in that bed. And then Eugene's mom's, they both startle her and they say that, um, you know, she's all that he could ever talk about lately. You know, he was so excited. He finally made a real friend. And then Wednesday she gets out of there, you know, she's like, oh, I'll, I'll leave you alone with him. So she you know, gets out. She doesn't want like the praise. She can't handle it. At the coroner's, uh, there's like blood splatter in the wall. There's a body in the body bag. The deputy tells the sheriff that the gun, gun was legal and registered in his name. Sheriff mentions how he saw him last week. He was excited about retirement and going on a cruise with his wife. He's like, is there any video? There's no video because there's black bubblegum on the camera. He's like, black bubblegum? So, of course, that means one person, right? The coroner also left a suicide note that he was feeling guilty about an old case. He said he covered it up, faked the coroner's report, lived with guilt all these years. And he's like, what case? Garrett Gates. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. And she's like, you know it? He's like, I've been waiting 30 years to solve that the case. He's like, there's only ever been one suspect. He's like, I always thought they were covering it up, covering up the truth. He's like, now I have my proof. He's like, how is that any proof about anything? Just because there's one one suspect on record doesn't mean anything. Wednesday, standing in front of a new the the new statue, of the crack what's it crack horn, crack shaw whatever the guy's name is that the, the got melted. Then she sees her mom walk into the cemetery with a rose, so she follows. Morticia pulls the rose off and then tosses a stem and then throws the, the rose petals over her shoulder wednesday looks to see whose tomb it was it's garrett gates she's like what's going on the next day there's like a lunch buffet at school wednesday says to her mother that i think it was later i don't think it's the same day but she says to her mother that her appetite eludes her just like the truth eludes her gomez walks up and says that they have to tell her morticia's like she'll never believe us Enid's mother asks if she's going to make her her ask, and Enid says that, well, she and Ajax haven't defined a relationship yet. Her mother's like, I'm not talking about boys. She's like, have you wolfed out yet? And and she like stares at her father, who's just like silent. He's like, doesn't say anything. And then she's like, no. And her mom's like, well, that is a disappointment. And Enid's like, that's me, a huge disappointment. The sheriff comes into the quad. He walks in. He walks past like Weems. She's like, what is this all about? He's like, Gomez Adams. He's like, you are under arrest. And he takes him. Wednesday looks at her mother. And then later, Wednesday visits her dad in prison. And it's weird. So he's at the police station, but he's in a, an orange jumpsuit already. So Thing is with her. And he, she tells him about seeing mother at Garrett Gates' grave. The very boy that he's been arrested for murdering. Care to explain? And he's like, Garrett was infatuated with your mother. He mistook her kindness for interest. It turned into obsession. He started stalking her. The family was the oldest and richest in Jericho, and no one believed them. His father was an outcast, hating bigot, and was furious that Morticia accused his only son. So it all came to head at the Raven Dance. They stepped out to catch their breath. They were really smooching in the flashback. Garrett had broken into the school. He was insane with his love for her. So he grabs a sword that was like sitting on a table, like in a, a little stand thing. He chased after Gomez, um, who goes up 
to the, like the, the upper floor to the balcony that's like under construction. Gomez grabbed a pipe to defend himself. So, um, driven by jealousy and hate, you know, Garrett was unstoppable. He knocks a sword out of his hand, but then he gets like punched and he gets like, like kind of shoved and then kicked more punches. Then he's like flung. Uh, Gomez sees the sword. Garrett comes at him and like walks into the sword. Gomez is like, it was a terrible accident. So then he like stumbles back, falls. Weem sees him standing there, him up at the top. Wednesday narrates, she's like, if I'm being objective, his confession sounds completely plausible, delivered with a perfect degree of sincerity. She says, thank you for being so honest with me. Then the narration continues. There is the matter of his tells, the way he smooths his mustache, the way he, de he delivers a comforting wink. She's been playing Russian roulette with him since she was 12. So she's like, how many fathers hand their daughter a fencing blade when she's five or teach her how to swim with sharks and all this stuff. Then she's like, the point is that he taught her how to be strong and independent. He's the reason she understands how imperative it is to never lose sight of herself. So as far as fatherhood goes, he's been more than adequate. Wednesday steps into the sheriff's office saying that they need to talk. He's like, how'd you get in here? She says that her father did not kill Garrett Gates. Sheriff says that he has a signed confession and that he identified, I think, that the saber that he used to do it. She asks if he doesn't find the timing a tad convenient. The coroner kills himself out of remorse for a decades-old murder case the very weekend that her father, his prime suspect, decides to return to town. He says that he just sees a guilty man who's finally going to pay for his crime. Um, he says cuffing him himself was the icing on the cake. And she asks, how can he not see that someone is desperately trying to derail her investigation? She found a monster's cave and gave him the DNA evidence and he's like, there was no DNA match. He was like, it was inconclusive. She asks if he thinks that this is all a coincidence. Whoever hurt Eugene also murdered the coroner. And he says, unfortunately, someone sabotaged the security camera so they don't know what happened. He says, uh, this is justice. Garrett Gates' family deserves closure, even if none of them are around. And she's like, what happened to them? Sheriff says that his mother hung himself in the backyard. His father drank himself to an early grave, and his little sister was orphaned, sent overseas, and ended up drowning. Then we see Ina's mother brought her a gift. So they're out in this clearing. You know, there's several people like out there, like by trees. You know, there like there's a bunch of fires or like roasting marshmallows and stuff like that. The gift was brochures to summer camp, and Ina's like, but they're not ordinary camps. They're for lycanthropy conversion. And the mother says that it worked wonders for her cousin. And she's like, you know, don't you want to finally wolf out and be normal? Enid just gets up and leaves. Wednesday finds Pugsley at a pond. She's like, you left your favorite fishing pole behind. And he says, he's like, oh, stop being nice. It doesn't suit you. So they, they talk about dad confessing, going to penitentiary. So he's like kind of scared. And she says that it's not over yet since he's innocent. But, you know, and, and she's like, where's mother, by the way? Pugsley says that she wanted to be alone. Wednesday finds her in the secret nightshade library. So she's happy. She's like, oh, you're a nightshade already? And Wednesday's like, I rejected them. She's like, I'll never live up to your legacy here. So why try? She's like, you won the Poe Cup, mom. Claimed it four times. She's like, I joined a fencing team. You, you captained it. Why would you send me somewhere where I could only exist in your shadow? Mom says that it's not a competition. And she's like, everything is a competition, mother. She rejected the nightshades mostly because they're a trivial social club. Mom's like, 
or Matricia's like, you know, it used to be so much more, you know, protect outcasts from harm and bigotry. The group was actually started by an ancestor of her father's from Mexico, one of the first settlers in America. And Wednesday's like, goody. She's like, she saw her, um, her painting in Pilgrim World. And mom's like, oh, how ironic, since she was the one who killed Joseph Crackstone. The nightshades were her secret but deadly answer to his oppression. Then she tells Wednesday, she's like, go on and ask. And she's like, father didn't kill Garrett Gates, did he? And she's like, no. So flashback, but by the time Morticia made it upstairs, she saw Gomez fighting for his life. She says that she'll never forget the way he was looking at her, that you know, um, Garrett was like foaming at the mouth. And he was, it was like looking into the eyes of a rabid beast. He moved towards her and then she picked up the sword and then he walks right into it. So she like, you know, yanks it out. He falls back. It wasn't until she heard the scream that she realized what she had done. Gomez was so calm and brave. He takes a sword and he steps to the ledge and then he tells her to leave, go to her room and lock the door. So he took the blame in order to protect her. So she knew someday this would come back to haunt them. Wednesday mentions that the foaming in the mouth and the eyes not looking human. She's like, maybe it wasn't rage at all. It's like foaming saliva, dilated pupils, mental confusion. She's like, all textbook symptoms of, and Morticia's like, how can that be? Only one way to find out. So Wednesday's digging Garrett's grave, and you know, <laughs> Morticia's just standing there. You know, it's not helping. Um, she opens a coffin. She's like, looks like I was right. So you can see his skin is kind of like bluish. Deputy Santiago arrives. She's Morticia and says like, oh, looks like there's going to be an Adams Family reunion and lockup tonight. It's like, you are both under arrest. So they're in a cell next to Gomez. And then they're like, so it's so silly because they're literally sort of like smooching with each other. And, you know, because Wednesday had mentioned before, she didn't know how they're going to spend any, you know, spend a time apart, whatever. Wednesday's like, neither one of you is strong enough to do hard time. You know, thanks to me, you won't have to. So she borrowed a finger from Garrett. Uh, she's like, nightshade poison. The preservation of soft tissue in the blue tint confirms it. He was dying before he was even stabbed. So she grabs the finger as they start smooching again. And then she has this other vision. Raven Dance 1990. Turns out the sheriff at the time was yelling at him about being worthy of being his son gives him a blue potion and tells him to kill all those outcasts. Wait, was it his, his sheriff? Maybe he wasn't a sheriff. No, I don't think he, his father was Gates. No, Gates' father wasn't a sheriff. Anyways, his father yells at him, gives him his blue potion, tells him to kill all those outcasts. You know, sneak into the dance and spike the punch bowl. So it was in his shirt pocket when he, he got distracted when he saw Gomez and then that's when he went after him. During the fight, you know, at one point he gets slammed into the pole and then it shattered in his pocket, shirt pocket. So Morticia asks her, you know, she saw this. She's like, did you have a vision? And then she tells him about the bile of the nightshade poison in the shirt. He wasn't just trying to kill father. He was going to use it to murder an entire school. So the next day, Morticia and Wednesday are out on bail. They go to visit the mayor because the mayor was actually the sheriff back then. So Wednesday shows him Garrett's broken finger. She's like, the blue sheen is from nightshade poison. Wednesday says that, but he already knew that because back when he was sheriff, he was in charge and covered it up. The mayor's like, Ansel Gate hated outcasts and nevermore. He claimed the land the school was built on was stolen from his family 200 years ago. He knows Garrett was going to spike the punch and kill all the kids at the dance. 
Ansel confessed the whole thing to him in a drunken stupor. It was his idea. He says that his job was to keep the peace. If there was a trial, Jericho and Nevermore's reputation would have been trashed. Morticia's says that she thinks the only reputation he was worried about ruining was his own. She remembers Garrett bragging to her that his father had the sheriff in his pocket. One year later, he gets elected mayor. Hmm. No doubt with the full support of Ansel Gates. The mayor's like, I resent your implication. And she says that what she resents is that he could have prevented Garrett's death if he had done his job when she lodged her complaint about him stalking her. But no, it's like men like you have no idea what it feels like not to be believed. And Wednesday's just like watching this ex exchange and, and the mayor like purses his lips and he's like, what is it you want? And she's like, all charges dropped. And Wednesday's like, my father will be released immediately with a full unequivocal apology from the sheriff's office. Do we have a deal? Outside, Wednesday's like, you were very impressive in there. And Morticia smiles. Then she's like, when did your visions begin? And she's like, a few months ago before I left for Nevermore. Mom says that she's sorry. She didn't feel like she could tell her. She knows they've had their difficulties lately, but she's always been there for her. And she always will be, like always. Wednesday says sometimes when she touches someone or something, she gets very violent glimpses from the past or future, and she doesn't know how to control it. Morticia says that their psychic ability resides on a spectrum of who they are. Given her disposition, her visions tend to be positive. That makes her a dove. Wednesday asks, and for someone like me, who sees the world through a darker lens, Morticia's like, you're a raven. Your visions are more potent, more powerful, but without the proper training, they could lead to madness. So she says that if she could help her, she would, but they're not trained by the living. Someone from their bloodline reaches out from beyond to help them when they're ready. Wednesday's like, well, Goody has. She's like, I've seen her before. And mom's like, tells her to be careful. Goody was a witch of great strength, but her vengeance pushed her too far. And even she couldn't save herself. Gomez is released. Sheriff says, sorry about all this. Gomez says, he's like, oh, I don't hold grudges, only blood debts. Then the sheriff's like, your daughter and my son have become close. And Gomez's like, I pity any boy who gets caught in her viper's gaze, but he must be a good egg. She wouldn't tolerate anything less. Sheriff says that he has his mom to thank for that, and they shake hands. Enid's mom has decided on a camp. She says that she can pick out the activities, and Enid's like, no. She's like, I'm not going. Not this summer, not ever. If I'm meant to wolf out, I'm going to do it on my own timeline. I just hope that one day you'll finally accept me for who I am. Her mom looks at her and just turns and leaves. Dad gives her a hug. He's like, I'm proud of you. He's like, you do you. He gives her a kiss on her forehead, which was very sweet. But it's like, dude, why don't you say something? And Bianca tells her mom that she'll come back and help under one condition. Wait until the school year is over. And mom asks, how do I know you won't just run away again? And Bianca says, because they both have too much to lose. But after this, she and Morning Song are out of her life forever. Pugsley gives Wednesday a big hug, and she's like, don't push it. <laughs> and she says to Dad, she's like, I knew you didn't have it in you to be a murderer. And he's like, oh, as much as that stings, gracias, my little death trap. Mom tells Wednesday she has her own path to blaze. She doesn't want to be a stranger in her life. If she needs her for anything, just take the crystal ball and and you know she's just a crystal ball call away or something like that wednesday's like thank you mother and then she takes a step towards her mother gives her like two air kisses and then like touches her hair whatever like 
So they, they leave, you know, she, she gave a Wednesday to your book, whatever. So Wednesday kind of looks at it. Then she rushes to Weems' office. She's like, I knew it. I did witness Rowan's murder that night. When Rowan appeared the next morning, it was you. When you participated in a talent show, not only did you impersonate Julie, Judy Garland, you became her. You're a shapeshifter. Weems scoffs. And she's like, that's a fascinating theory. Wednesday says that she's curious to find out how Sheriff Galpin feels when she tells him. Weems stands up and bends over her desk like in, get in Wednesday's face. You won't tell a soul, Miss Adams. And it wouldn't matter much if you did. Rowan's father already knows what happened. And he fully supports my decision not to involve the authorities. And she's like, why would he agree to that? She says because Rowan wasn't right in his or wasn't in his right mind. His telekinetic abilities were driving him mad. He attempted to murder you twice. His death prevented putting him and the school's name in bad light. Wednesday says that she and Mayor Walker are the same, aren't they? Burying bodies to cover up their dirty secrets. Weem says that she did what she needed to to shield the school from controversy and protected students from harm. And she's like, Tell that to Eugene. How are you protecting him? Then they get interrupted by some students yelling outside. They go out and then they look on a balcony. There's like fire on the lawn. There's like some big letters. Fire will rain. R-A-I-N. And that's the end of the fifth episode. With uh, episode six, quid pro woe. Wednesday's having a seance in a room. She says that, you know, she does do them often. She can barely tolerate the living. So why would she want to commune with the dead? But mother told her that Goody is the only one that can help her to control her psychic ability. So, you know, she's got all these candles. But then the door opens. The draft blows out all the candles, which seems kind of silly. It's Enid. And then, um, so she tells Enid what she's trying to do. Goody seems to be ignoring her. Enid suggests using one of her scented candles. (laughs) And then someone slips a note under the door. And it's written, like, ransom note style. It's like, if you want answers, meet inside Crackstone's crypt midnight so wednesday heads over with enid uh because she insisted on coming she's a uh, a little skittish about everything the crypt door is kind of cracked open and enid's like "Ooh, what died wednesday says that it smells like childhood <laughs> enid suggests that she'll stay outside as a lookout inside she hears a cough and she's like show yourself and it turns out um enid xavier and others they have like a birthday cake. They're singing happy birthday. Thing is there with like a little party tap on top of his stump. Um, then she lightly scolds Thing. She's like, what part of no party under penalty of death did you not understand? Xavier says that he designed a cake. Um, Enid added a little pink balloon. There's like a Grim Reaper like cake topper on there. So she gave it like a, a pink balloon. Um, and then instead of making a wish, she sees uh, writing in Latin on a wall. Fire will rain when I rise. So Wednesday says that the first part was burned into Nevermore's lawn. It can't be a coincidence. She like touches the writing, gets a vision. She's lying on the ground in the woods and the voice like, Crackstone is coming. She gets up and then she sees Goody, which at first I thought, and then I wasn't sure. So Goody is actually played by Jenna Ortega also, but with like lighter hair and like lighter skin, whatever. So she's like, Crackstone is coming. She gets up when she sees Goody. Goody's like, you are the raven in my bloodline. And she tells her, there's no controlling the raging river in regards to helping you with your visions. You must learn to navigate it without drowning. Time is running out to stop Crackstone. You know, she must seek out the place or this place or something like that. They're standing in front of these big iron gates. 
And she says that the path of a raven is a lonely one. She'll only see the darkness in others and not trust anyone. So then later, back in her room, she's drawing like the gates. Enid tells her not to blame Thing. The party was her idea. She admits that Enid's subterfuge was impressive. Thing pulls out a box from under the bed. There's a note. May your 16th be as sour and misery filled as your desire. So Wednesday turns 16. I was wondering, like, how old is she supposed to be? And then it says, like, from your ever-doting mother and father. Enid says that they asked Thing to hide it before they left. It's a taxidermy kit. They open it. There's, like, a dead squirrels or something like this glass cooler thing. And he's like, oh, that's so gross. Wednesday's like, I would have preferred live squirrels. So Enid says she got her a gift, too. So um, she's like, what is it exactly? Enid's like, it's a snood. She's like, it's basically like a scarf, like hoodie thing. She's like, I made it in your signature colors. She's like, the best part? I have one too. It's pink, of course. So it's, you know, again, it's like this big scarf or whatever. Ina's like, we can wear them together to class. And Wednesday's like, uh, it's much too unique to wear to class. We should wear it for, um, um, you know, we should wait for a more special occasion, like a funeral. The mayor tells Weems, uh, Lucas feels terrible about what happened at the dance. She says, um, you know, forgive her skepticism over his latest act of vandalism. But the mayor says that he had nothing to do with the burning of the lawn. He's been grounded for the last week. So she's like, fine, he can do his community service here and then they could forget it ever happened. So she's more concerned with finding out who did it. And he says that there's also whoever attacked Eugene. So he suggests maybe one of her students and she warns him to be careful. Wednesday stands out. She's like looking at the burned letters on the lawn. Xavier comes up and she asks, who said that they were back? And he started talking to her. She's like, who said we were back on speaking terms? He said that he showed up at her birthday party. And she says that she never said she was ready to talk to him. He asks if she still suspects him as a monster. And she's like, I haven't ruled it out yet. So then we see Bianca. Um, she sees Lucas like cleaning windows inside. This is where he got it. He's like, there's this w woman in the, the diner booth. She told him about this like self-help app called morning song said it could help him refocus his life so he signed up and they send him the bracelet she tells him that they only care about his money the more he listens to them the more they sink their claws into him so they're kind of lightly flirting with each other then he's like well why do you care and she's like i'm just trying not to be like my mother you know she's the ghost of bitchiness future and then he's like, well, I'll be at the weather vane, like the coffee shop later. He's like, if you want to exchange notes on self-help ideas. Wednesday says that she hasn't always been against birthdays. Each one reminds her that she's a year closer to death's cold embrace. And her parents always made sure her birthdays were memorable. So there's some flashbacks, um, like, you know, different parties and, you know, and presents and games. She's like, it all feels so trivial. And she she's telling all this to eugene she mentions how good he says that she'd be alone but then her therapist like clears her throat and she says that she hasn't seen her since their last session with her family how are things going with them she says that she and her mother spent some quality time together because you know digging graves and going to jail then she managed to keep her father out of prison the doc says that she's working with um the therapist says that she's working with eugene's parents that they, but they had to go home for a bit, and she said that she'd look in on on Eugene. So Wednesday goes to leave. Uh, she's like, "I'll leave you to it." And then Doc's like, "Who's Goody?" And then Wednesday's like, "She's a a very distant cousin, you know, very distant." 
Wednesday says that um, she's still as cold and dark as the first day they met. Doc says that she doubts something so cold and dark would be sitting at a friend's bedside feeling guilt for his condition. And she's like, I didn't ask for a free session. The doc says, consider it your birthday gift. And it was weird because there's like a, as she's walking out, there's like a close shot of the flowers that she brought. So I don't know what was a big deal about focusing on, on the flowers. Unless that means something. Mayor gets a copy of an old death certificate from London. Death certificate is for Laurel Gates, female, March 14th, 1991. So that was uh, the daughter. Um, that was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Garrett's sister that supposedly died overseas. Wednesday is reading in the coffee shop, A Pilgrim's Journey. She gets a latte and it says happy birthday in the phone. Tyler's been working on it all week. And she's like, birthday, yes, happy never. Is So she's like, she's like, is there anyone that thing didn't tell? He's like, who do you think delivered the cake? And he sees the, or Tyler sees a snood and he's like, is that Enid's gift? And she says, it's, it's perfect if you're fleeing a war-torn country on foot. He asks, you know, doesn't she like a day all about her? She's like, every day is all about me. This one just comes with cake and a bad song. He asks if she'd be interested in a non-birthday um, song-free dinner. And she says that she has a tight deadline. Whitewashing our past will come back to kill us all. And she shows him the gate drawing. He Has he seen it before? He's like, uh, he asks, what's that supposed to be? And she's like, never mind. Then he asks if he's he's done something because he's like ever since the Raven she's been ghosting him. Is you know you know is there just did he would do something wrong? She just keeps reading, and she's like, I guess I got my answer. So then the sheriff comes in. She goes up to him and says that the threat burned into the school. It's also etched in the wall inside Crackstone's crypt. So she knows there's a connection there. And he's like, How? What were you doing in there? Then he's like, Okay. He's like, I'll put out an APB and a dead pilgrim. Then she says. That now he doesn't have an old crime to obsess over. He's feel that he's free to solve some real crime. Xavier's painting in a studio. Wednesday and thing come in. She says that she needs his help, and then she shows him the gate. She's like, "Does he recognize it?" He shows her a drawing of the same gates. He drew it a couple days ago because he had more dreams. And she asks if the monster was in it. He's like, "No, but I could feel it in the shadows." So he says that it's the old Gates Mansion. He passes it when he goes running. Then Thing pulls on this tarp off this other painting, and it's Wednesday playing the, the cello. So she goes over and looks at it, and he says that, he's like, you know, listen. He's like, after the dance, he's like, I wanted to forget about you, but I couldn't. So I started painting, and that's what came out. He says that he can hear her playing, so he moves his hand over to painting, and the, the painting starts, you know, coming to life. He says that he gets lost in the music and he feels that that's the only time he can see to reel her. And she's just like looks at it and like listening and she walks out without saying a word. Probably because it's kind of like an invasion of privacy, it seems like. A little creepy. At the weather vane, Tyler goes up to Bianca. Says Wednesday left behind her gift from Enid. You know, could she give it to him? And she's like, aren't you her boyfriend? And he's like, definitely not. Then Bianca's like, Bianca's like, sure. She was just leaving anyways. Then Lucas comes in, and he sits. He knew, he's like, oh, I didn't think you were going to come, whatever. And he's like, look, I took off the bracelet. So he's like, he's surprised that she's there after he helped trash the dance. She says that she just wanted someone to talk to, figured that they could relate. You know, mentions her mother coming 
And he says most people don't think that he'll amount to anything. And honestly, he hasn't done anything to prove them wrong. So she's like, why did you trash a dance? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, maybe I was angry that my dad was humiliated on outreach day. You know, I wanted to pay back. But after he did it, he felt like crap and he just wanted to start over. Wednesday's at the Gates house. She goes in the Gates. Goody showed her this house for a reason. And she's like, ghosts don't harm the living. So she needs to unlock its secrets or die trying. She goes to the door and then she runs because someone's coming out and it's the mayor. So the mayor is inside the house for some reason. He locks up behind him. Wednesday tells Thing that she needs a distraction. So the the mayor is trying to talk to the sheriff. She, he's leaving a message. And he's like, he says that he might have figured out who's behind all of this. Things like flicking stones like away. So he, like the sheriff's like looking like in front of the car. This part, I didn't really like. She goes to the back of the mayor's SUV. And she opens it, climbs in. Thing is able to, to join her. And she closes the door. So he doesn't see or hear the back of the SUV open and, and shut. So then uh, Mayor drives to town to meet the sheriff at the weather vane. As he crosses the street, a big blue caddy hits him and she keeps on driving. Wednesday's surprised. You know, she's climbing out of the SUV. And uh, then the sheriff runs out to the street. He's like, call an ambulance. Call 911. So then Wednesday's sitting with the sheriff in the booth as the ambulance pulls away. He says that the mayor is alive, barely, and he say, says that he'll take her back after he gets her statement. And she says that she already gave it to his deputy, a blue Cadillac, no license plate. And he's like, I know. He's like, I want a better one. Takes out a tape recorder. What were you doing in the back of the, uh, the man's SUV? She said that she saw him coming out of the Gates mansion. And he's like, what the heck were you doing there? And she's like, house hunting. <laughs> then he says that, or she says that she overheard the voicemail he left. So she was intrigued. He says that back when the mayor was a sheriff, he had lots of wild theories on cases that he couldn't solve. And, you know, so they would sit there in the booth and they just talk about, you know, all these crazy ideas or whatever like that. She calls, she says, call her old fashioned. But when someone is run over on the way to give the police key information, usually means they were onto something. So all signs point to the Gates family and that house. And he's like, how? They're all dead. He's like, every last one of them. Then Weems is yelling at her in her office. How do you manage to end up at the center of every terrible thing that happens here? And she's like, incredible luck. Weems says that as of now, the school's on full lockdown and her off-campus privileges are revoked until further notice. And Wednesday just walks out. And it's just like so stupid. It's like, okay, yeah, punish everyone for whatever. So Wednesday's in a room typing. Thornhill comes in to ask if she's okay. You know, after seeing the mayor get hit, and she says that it was on her bucket list. She can also tell the warden that she's still in her cell. Thornhill says that Weems is just looking out for her, uh, you know, because she could have been seriously hurt or worse. And she asks, "How's a novel coming along?" And so, you know, Wednesday's writing about this like girl detective or something like that, and that her her case has been like stopped or something. Her investigation. Then. Um, Thornhill says that she saw a book on her bookshelf and she thought of, of Wednesday, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Thornhill says that Mary Shelley wrote it on a dare when she was only 19. And Wednesday's like, I know, Shelley is both my literary hero and nemesis. She's like, I only have two years and 364 days to beat her. Thornhill says that she thinks it's good. Wednesday is focusing on literacy monsters instead of any real ones that might be out there. 
And Wednesday says, no man chooses evil because it is evil. He only makes it for happiness. The good he seeks. Mary Shelley wrote that line to describe people like Weems, who do bad things under the guise of protecting the greater good. She asks her if she put her up to this to encourage her to pursue other interests, and Thornhill is like, no. She's like, but she will expel you if you continue to defy her. Wednesday's like, so you're looking out for my best interests? And Thornhill's like, yeah. Then she's like, well, I don't need your help or your pity. She's like, I already have a mother and a therapist. And Thornhill looks kind of hurt, which is like, hmm. Wednesday uses a payphone to call Tyler. She reconsiders offer, the non-birthday dinner. So she's like, pick me up outside Nevermore Gates at 8 o'clock with the lights off. And then she hangs up. And uh, um, then his dad, Tyler's dad, Sheriff, hears him say her name. Because he's like, Wednesday? After launching up. He's like, what I say about steering clear of her? She's the type of girl that's going to get you hurt. And he's like, I know the type. And Tyler's like, is that supposed to be about mom? He's like, of course not. That would require you to actually talk about her. And he w- walks right up to Tyler who doesn't like back down he's like angry that's like i can't deal with this right now he's like i had to go check on the mayor and he's like be home before curfew and tyler's like did you ever love her and dad stops he's like more than you can ever know and just walks out of the room enid lies in her bed she's dejected wednesday says that she's been thinking about her reaction at a party she must admit she regrets not showing her gratitude towards her more appropriately and enid's like you really mean it and she's like take the win enid She's like, if there's only a way for us to get off campus to have a little birthday redo, just two best friends. Too bad the school is in lockdown. And then she like looks out the window. She's like, would you look at that full moon? Ina's like, oh, how about I say I'm about to wolf out and get a pass to the lupin cages and say you you volunteered to lock me in. Wednesday's surprised. She's like, my deviousness is finally is, has finally rubbed off on you. And then Ina's like, oh, we should wear us nudes. And Wednesday's like, oh, I believe I left mine at fencing. And Ina's like, actually, you left yours at the weather vane. Luckily, Bianca brought it back. <laughs> so she's probably like, Bianca. Tyler's outside the gates. Um, he gets surprised because Wednesday like suddenly appears. And then you know she gets in the car. Ina gets in the back and she sees Tyler. She's like, wait, he's our Uber driver? And he's like, I thought we were going on a date. She's like, I thought this was a girl's night out. Wednesday's like, there's been a change of plan. Then Tyler asks, what's with the weird matching hoodie scarf things? And she's like, don't ask, just drive. Xavier's outside um, Wednesday and Ina's window like a creep. He's on the balcony outside the room. He's asked, he's like, are you in there? He's like, I know you're still mad about the painting, but I just want to talk to you for a second. So there's like typing inside. So he just pushes the window open, helps himself inside. It's like, okay, that is so creepy. You can't do that. And it's it's thing that's typing. Wednesday Enid and Tyler are at the Gates house. Um, they think it's creepy. She says that you know she doesn't want a surprise party or dinner for her birthday. She wants this. She pops open the lock of the gate. Tyler says that she could have asked them and not tricked them. She says that you know if they want to go, they can. She's just going to check out the garage. So, of course, they follow. The garage is locked. Tyler, he's like, here, let me try. He tries opening. He can't do it. Um, and then he, Enid's like, well, let me try. And she opens it. She's like, what? So I guess maybe she's a little stronger because of her, the wolf in her. There's a car inside under cover. They lift it up, the, the, the tarp. It's the, the blue caddy to hit the mare. Enid wants to call Tyler's dad. Wednesday says, why? So he can take me back to Nevermore so I can get expelled. They go inside the house. There's a big portrait 
uh, of the family. Wednesday wonders why Goody would lead her here if they're all gone. Wednesday looks at you know some books on the shelf. She finds uh, like a hidden button on the shelf, and this uh, big portrait altar of cracked stones is like behind the shelf with candles. And then it says like you know blood will rain is written on the wall in either red paint or blood. Wednesday feels some of the candle wax. She's like they're still warm. She tells Tyler to check out the rest of the ground floor while she and Enid search upstairs. So when they go up there, Wednesday's like, you go that way, I'll go this way. And he's like, you know, about splitting up. She's like, that's literally how every best friend dies in a horror movie. And she's like, Wednesday says that the faster they search, the sooner they can leave. So Ina calls her right away. One room has a bed made. There's no cobwebs. It's Laurel's room, the daughter. There's like fresh flowers. Wednesday says, but she died 25 years ago overseas. Then they hear a crash. Tyler calls them down. They can hear like claws slashing and a growl or whatever. Wednesday goes in a dumbwaiter with Enid. Wednesday uses her snood to tie the door shut. And Enid's like, not your snood. And then there's like slashing at the door. And then the rope got frayed a little bit. The dumbwaiter falls with a crash. So they're, now they're like, it, it's not the kitchen. It's like, there must be the basement. They like kind of roll out. Um, there's like weird things in, in jars, like body parts. Wednesday, tell, you know, there's a window. She tells Enid to go out there. Then the monster is coming at them. Wednesday sees that the things in a jar are body parts from the victims. Um, Tyler has like a big slash on his chest. Xavier shows up, takes out his scarf to, to help stop with the bleeding. Then they go to Tyler's later. Wednesday is putting like little band-aids on, on the slashes. Enid is like freaking out. She says that um, they have to get back before Weems realizes they're gone. Then the sheriff walks in. He immediately accuses Wednesday, and Tyler stands up to stop him. Wednesday says that she understands he's upset, but he needs to see something. So they go back to the house. It's been cleared out. Like, the entire bottom part, all the jars are gone. And she says, it was all there. It's like, the body parts, the Cadillac. And she's like, yesterday, I told you all signs pointed at the house, and I was right. And he's like, is that your justification for almost getting my son and your best friend killed? He says that from this point forward, she is forbidden from seeing Tyler and forbidden from pursuing anything to do with this case. He drops her off. As she walks in, she's going up the stairs. Weems is there. You directly violated my explicit order and left campus during a lockdown, not to mention putting your peers and yourself in danger. And Wednesday's like, which is grounds for expulsion, I know, and you have every right to ex exercise that option. I do believe it would be a grave error on your part. And Weems like scoffs in disbelief. She says that she'll never apologize for trying to uncover a truth. And then she shows her the two torn pages from the book. What is this? She's like, it's a warning from Rowan. So Reams looks at it carefully. Is this why he tried to kill you? And she says that his mother drew it before she died, said that she was destined to destroy the school, but she thinks she was meant to save it. She thinks that she deserves another chance. Please. And for Wednesday to say please is like a big deal. Weem stares at her, gives her the picture back. One more infraction. One more step out of line and you'll be expelled. No ifs, ands, or buts. And Wednesday's like, Enid and Xavier are spared as well. And no more negotiation. And she's like, good night. And she leaves Wednesday on the stairs. Wednesday finds Enid packing. And she's like, she says she's going to Yoko's room. Thornhill said that she could crash there for a few nights. And Wayne's like, there's no need. She's like, I talked to Weems and you won't, you know, we won't be punished. And she's like, am I supposed to thank you? Wednesday says that she's like, I already apologize. It's over. And she's like, over? 
Enid says that tonight was the icing on the cake that she couldn't bother to cut. She uses anyone to get what she wants, even if it means putting them in danger. They could have died tonight because of her stupid obsession. And Wednesday's like, but we didn't. And now I'm one step closer to solving this case. That's what's important. Enid takes a deep breath. And she says that she's tried really, really hard to be her friend. Put herself out there. Thought of her feeling, you know, stuck up for her with other pe- for other, you know, when other people are saying stuff about her. I, and she's like, I never asked you to do that. And Enid's like, you didn't have to ask me that because that's what friends do. They don't have to be asked. So the fact that you don't know that says everything. You just want to be alone. So she's left standing there. She walks over to window and she sits there. She's like, you know, half and her half and, and Ina's half. She's And then she narrates like, you know, Goody warned her that she was destined to be alone. Maybe it's inevitable. But for the first time in her life, it doesn't feel good. And then there's also something else, a gnawing feeling that death is close at hand watching her. And, you know, she took the music box from Laurel's room. She opens it and, you know, there's like the little ballerina there. She shuts it and like some car, something falls from underneath. There are pictures of her playing the cello on the balcony, outside the therapist, in the car with Tyler, in the woods, etc. Like all these pictures. And she says that she won't be intimidated and she will never give up. That house, that family, Crackstone, the monster, somehow hurt. They all seem to be connected like a spider's web. When the mayor got too close to the truth, he was silenced. And then at the hospital, someone pulls his life support plug on his ventilator. And then, you know, she doesn't, obviously doesn't know this, but she says that she won't be silenced. And then she types a note to whoever is watching me, know this, I will find you. And that's the end. So two more episodes left. We'll talk about those next week. And now it is time for the movie feature, which is Violent Night. So this movie, um, this this was, I enjoyed this movie so much. I didn't think I was going to like this. I, I was like, like, come on. It's like, this seems like such a silly movie. And I was like, there's nothing else playing. I haven't been in the movie in a couple weeks. There's nothing next or this week. So I was like, I guess I'll go see it. You know, it's David Harbour. So I was like, you know, I, I like him. You know, I, I liked him in Stranger Things. And I liked him in, in Hellboy, even though a lot, a lot of people don't like that movie or whatever. So I was like, I'll go see it. And, you know, John Leguizamo was in it. And I know some people don't like him, but, you know, whatever. So I went and saw it. And I cannot believe how much I enjoyed this movie. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, so I I put out a, a you know, I, I tw- whenever I go to a movie, I just tweet about it. Just, you know, do my little part that what I thought about the movie. And I, I I feel like this movie has like everything. It's it is literally like a holiday movie. It has like it has a holiday cheesiness stuff because there's this little girl who like really believes in Santa, and it has like the whole thing. But then there, there's humor. It's like an action movie, so you got all that you know your typical action stuff. You know, guns shooting, people going, and you know all this stuff. There's the typical action humor that you have that. And then there's like just a crazy amount of, of violence, which is, you know, for the fact this movie has so much like Christmas spirit and it being so violent, it's just crazy. But then the 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 really neat thing is I got a reply from the, the Violent Night Twitter and they actually made like a, a animated gift that quoted my tweet in just the first part, like the, I forget what it what the, has, you know, something for everyone. And at first, I was like, oh, you know, okay, this is so easy for some social media, you know, type in, you know, the quote and the, the username and then put it out there. But 
it's because it's animated gif you know it's it's david harbour santa claus like taking a bite on like a cookie i think and spitting it out but when he spits it at the the words the quote it's like part of it like crumbles from him spitting it so there's actually a little more than just typing over an image so i i appreciated that that was was good and again i feel like people should see this movie so i'm happy to do my little part to to um whatever promote the movie as i can now on rotten tomatoes the critic score it went down a little bit you know it, i forget what it was when i thursday when it was just a few but now based on 127 reviews it's at a 69 percent. it was a lot higher before so i'm sure more people are seeing it and poo-pooing it because they don't appreciate things that are fun and, and entertaining the audience score based off of 250 verified ratings is an 88 percent so 69 percent critics 88 percent audience so the way i look at this the, the audience they're paying to see this movie majority of the critics probably didn't pay if they went to a screening they didn't have to pay or if they are paying they're going to get comp from their you know expenses or whatever so the fact that it's almost like the paying people's opinion should be a bigger deal yes i used to be a critic uh, am i still a critic i don't know whatever depends on your definition i don't write reviews like i used to you know because of time and everything but i you know i always say a critic's review that's just one person's opinion and and yeah when you when you do this as your job you this is your craft this is your you know you know what you're talking about and but again, it doesn't matter how eloquent, how much you analyze all the details or precisions in a movie, anything like that. It is still just your opinion. If if you don't like science fiction, you could see like the best made science fiction movie. You're not going to like it. You know, may may hopefully you can talk on, you know, the attempt, the effects, and and the the whole you know presentation, but. If if you don't like it, it's you can't say it's it's a good movie if you just don't like the the genre, the, the story, or whatever. So I I always go with that, and you know I always say when you follow certain people because you know back during the comic vine days or whatever, you know when we did our reviews, and when there's when there's more of us doing reviews, when it was me, Matt, and Greg, you know I always would say. Uh, you know, when you know us, like if you know what I like or you know what Matt likes, you know what Greg likes, you know what whoever likes, you know, Corey, he was doing reviews or Jen, um, you know, if, if you know that I don't like a certain thing, maybe you do like that. So, you know, if, if I don't like that Western book or something, whatever, that maybe you're going to like it. Or if you know what I like and you agree with that, then, you know, you can kind of base it off of that. But I don't know. I, I feel like. When you look at these movie critics, so if I scroll down on Rotten Tomato, you know, we got critics from The Daily Beast. Okay, I've, I have heard of The Daily Beast. I, I haven't checked it out. Chicago Sun-Times, obviously, I've heard of that. Chicago Reader, I've never read the Chicago Reader. Even though. Rolling Stones, I know about that. But again, Rolling Stones, a magazine about music reviewing a horror movie, which, yes, Rolling Stone is more about music. I get that, whatever. Um, Consequence, Entertainment Weekly um see i always forget this so i think the tomatoes is is a good thing right the green splat is not a good thing yeah because uh this one from rolling stones 
the sort of wannabe cult action comedy that gets off on its own displays and horrible behavior and listless set pieces. The Santa goes berserk story wants to be a new alt holiday classic. It's like, okay, whatever, dude. Um, but other people like it. so. Entertainment Weekly liked it. Uh, Consequence liked it. Deep Focus Review. Sorry, I don't know what that. Then it, just because I doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't, you know, doesn't mean anything. Um, they didn't like it. Double Toasted liked it. Some dude on YouTube liked it. Flick Fan Fiction liked it. Digital Trends. Rick, Rick Marshall, uh, he liked it. Violet Night isn't the first film to deliver an R-rated Santa Claus story, but it's one of the best if you find the idea of jolly old St. Nick's engaging in a bit of old ultraviolence appealing. See, I, I would trust Rick's um, opinion. And then... Um, Cine movie TV liked it. So, you know, you have all that. What is the movie about? I kind of haven't talked about that. So basically, David Harbour is actual is Santa Claus, is the legit real Santa Claus. He's like, he's just so so tired and haggard. Like it starts out, he's in this bar, and there's like this other dude, like a store Santa Claus, and he's like, Oh yeah, he's like, I've been doing this four years now. How long you? He's like, Too many years. I I don't even remember how long now. And he's like, I think this might be the last one. He's like, you know, that's it. Christmas over. And, and he just, the other guy kind of laughs. He gets up to leave. Um, then he tells the, the bartender lady. And I, I think, I can't remember if he knew her, her name. He's like, oh, you're saving me a trip. He's like, get us for your grandson. It's a video game. And then she's like, wait, how'd you know my name? And, it, and she's like, how'd you know I had a grandson? And then, wait, that's a door to the roof. You can't go up there. So she's like, ah. So she goes after him. And she's like, come up there. She's like, if you fall off, he's like, I'm going to get in trouble, whatever. No one on the roof. And she's like, where could he go? Because it's not like a huge building or anything like that. And then she hears something. She looks up. There's Santa, his reindeer, sled flying. He circles around, goes over. (laughs) But then he like leans over. Hot steaming puke all over her. So nasty. So the the and then the, the other main part of the story, this dude um is picked up by his wife and daughter and like he meets them in the car. So him and his wife are kind of like estranged. You know, they're 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 there's something going on. Their marriage is like falling apart. They're not together. And what we find out later is because you know he's working too much. So they're going to his mother's place, Beverly D'Angelo. She's like super rich, but she's very intense. And so you're going to go over there. It's a huge mansion, gated, you know, this private road community type of thing. And his sister is there. Her current husband is, like, supposed to be this, like, action star, cheeseball dude. Her, like, 15 or 16-year-old son is, like, this TikTok, Snapchat, whatever, live stream douchey kid. And... uh they're like really kissing up, you know. They they were they're trying to win mom's favors, and the 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 dude, he's not not he doesn't care that much, you know. He's he's like you know whatever type of thing. So what, because of all the craziness in the marriage and work and it's like that, this dad forgot to take his daughter because she's like I never told Santa what I wanted for Christmas because he usually always takes her to the mall or whatever and he didn't do it this year so he he leaves comes back he like looks into whatever this one part of the house he finds this like little like walkie talkie with like a headphone stuff he's like this is a magic radio he's like you can talk directly to santa with this it's like he's you know really busy right now so he might not be able to respond but he'll hear what you're saying and she's like really and she's super excited 
So um, then what ends up happening later is John Leguizamo wants to, he, he organized this thing because there's money at the house for, for certain reasons. And his, like the catering staff all works for him. So Santa's like actually at the house and, you know, he's relaxing in this like vibrating reclining chair or something like that. Then he starts hearing gunshot. So he's like, he goes to leave, but then this guy comes in, there's like the struggle, shoot bullets, go through the roof, the reindeer take off, leave him there. And then, then um, he act, he, he kind of kills, accidentally kills a guy, you know, he falls out the window and he gets impaled on these like big icicle things. So he just wants to get out of there. But then he hears the girl's voice on the radio. Then he starts talking to her and he, and she's like, Sam, is that really you? And it's like that. So then she, he feels like he has to save her. And what it, had, it turns out through a flashback later in the movie, he used to be like this, like super ultra tough, like, badass fighter he had this, like, this big hammered i think he called it skull crusher i forget and you know because he, he like later he's like talking on the radio or whatever and he's like you know i wasn't a very nice guy before and he did all this and then you know he became santa after that and you know he, and it's also nice because he talks about like, christmas magic he doesn't really understand it you know it just it works or whatever so you know you, you have stuff like that but it's just funny because he he gets injured and it's not like magic oh he's gonna heal right away because like he gets this big gash and he has to like sew it up or whatever and you know he's in pain but he's also super tough because you know he's been doing this for a while and he used to be this warrior and it just it it just it's over the top and it's it gets crazy and there's even a part like the girl had mentioned she had just seen home alone for like the first time and she loved that movie and you know she's hiding and she's she was able to sneak away she's hiding in an attic and she even sets up like some home alone traps and stuff like that so it just it gets crazy and um you know the whole thing like her believing in santa and and stuff like that it kind of reminded me of, of my daughter when she was little because she, you know, she's so into it and everything and, you know just seeing it's it's i mean it's different because you, when you think back if you ever believed in santa if you ever celebrated christmas or not but you might not remember what that feeling was like. And, you know, maybe you didn't believe or whatever. You stopped believing, you know, because adults, for whatever reason, stop believing Santa, you know, that, that's kind of mentioned. But with my daughter, you know, because I, I just, I still remember when she was such a kid and just, you know, just just that, that innocence and that just wanting to believe. And even, you know, if she knew not to, or maybe she shouldn't believe or whatever, you know, she's just wanted to believe. And she, she's just so, you know, so I was reminded by that and it kind of like touched, you know, whatever by that feeling, sort of like whatever nostalgia and stuff like that. But then you got the crazy violence and, and there's some parts, you know, there was, it was funny. It wasn't like too funny, like over like forced humor. So I really enjoyed this movie. I, like I, I literally said it has something for everyone. Maybe not necessarily the little kids because it is a R rated movie. It is pretty violent, but it's just, it's just crazy to think of the idea because at first I thought it was just he was just a, a dude dressed as Santa, but no, the fact that this is literally Santa Claus doing all this, it, it just it's pretty nuts. So I've I've said a lot. Of, uh, I I probably spoil more than I normally would do in a movie, but I just enjoyed this so much, and it it, it could be like 
I don't know if it would like fly in my household, but this would be like a good movie to play at Christmas Day. You know, normally it's like you watch a Christmas story, you know, all day or whatever. Not all day, but this it, it there's there's a lot of Christmas spirit in there, but it's also a lot of us absurdity and and ultra violent. And maybe it's not. I mean, I don't want to say it's like super duper gory violent, but there's just a, a lot. You know, a lot of people they are on the naughty list and, and that. So I enjoyed that. I, I'm so glad I went and saw it. I'm so glad that there was nothing else that opened out open that week that I thought would be better to to watch. It was it was just really enjoyable. So this other like Christmas movie that's that's coming out this week, I don't I really don't think I'm gonna go see that. I I, I don't think I feel like maybe they're like oh you know violent night people are, are talking about that let's release this movie too i don't know if you can do such a quick turnaround maybe they always planned in it but i because i just looked uh the other day and my because th- i'm trying to see i don't know if my theater is gonna have the whale is supposed to open this week so i'm trying to see if they're doing like a thursday night showing and you know they don't always update it right away but there, there was like nothing that was coming out and then suddenly like you got this violent night whatever vi- or no not violent whatever it is the movie's called I don't, I don't even care so yeah it, it whatever so go see violent night see the other one if you want i i'm not going to and i could be wrong but i don't think so that wrong so i enjoyed this movie but that is going to be it for this podcast because we're getting close to four hours and that's just way too much so thank you for listening. So big thanks to David McPhail and Andrew Lookin. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanformec. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And this week, I, you know, I usually talk about comic books, classic story arcs. I did a lot of Fantastic Four from the 80s. Um, this week, I'm going to do an off-of-mind discussion about something, and um, it'll be about Superman. That's something that I I probably mentioned, touched on several times, so I, th- I think it's we need to go into f- like full detail. Um, and then I'll probably do a movie soon as well. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmail. All right, so what about next week? I Like I said, I don't think there's anything that's going to be in theaters. Um, I think I might go with Doom Patrol as the, the main feature. Uh, I don't I don't know if everyone loves that show. I, I think it's 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 a really good show, well-made show. I mean, it's funny and it's just, it's, it's very ambitious. It's just, it's crazy. But I don't know if there's there's anything else really. I have to see something else might pop up. I don't know. I'm not going to see that Christmas movie, and I don't know if the whale will open up in theaters. So it might that might be it. And then uh, the following week will be Avatar: Way of the Water or whatever it's called. And then of course you know we got the peripheral season finale. We got Star Girl season finale, and um, two more Wednesdays. The last two out of season. And I don't know if there's going to be. Oh, maybe maybe. Uh, his dark materials is that what it's called? That is what it's called, right? Season three. We'll see. But the thing is, they're dropping two episodes on Monday. Why are you doing this to me, HBO Max? Anyways, so thank you for listening. I hope you are doing well. I hope you, <laughs> hope you you survive listening to this four hour podcast and go see Violent Night. 
I hope you're getting ready for the holidays, whatever you celebrate, if anything. I hope you are having a good time at work. I hope you're having a good time at school. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're happy, healthy, and I hope you remember to be good to each other. 